Hello, it is 13th of January 2018, and this is episode 55 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy in the future of the saga. So, how has your week been, Kirsty? It's been great. Um, I've, I've been to the cinema to see The Last Jedi one more time. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the point where I don't feel like I'm gaining like too much new stuff, like insight into like bigger things, because I feel like we've kind of focused on a lot of the big overarching ideas and the main characters and everything. But it's been good in a way because it allows me to kind of look at background characters a little more and wonder about their stories and whether we'll get bits in like ancillary canon. Like I was wondering about, um, you know, Justin Theroux, his little companion. Oh, oh yeah, the Lily Cole one. Yeah. Um, she's called Lovey in the Visual Dictionary, but that's because that's what he calls her. Yeah. And I'm just like, I feel like she would have a cool backstory. Yeah. No, there's a cool backstory, I think, sort of described for her in the Visual Dictionary. It's yeah. that she is trying to become the Master Codebreaker. And so she's kind of cozying up to the current master codebreaker because she wants to like learn as many of his tricks as she can. Um, but by being charming and sexy and stuff, she's able to like disguise her, the nature of her intentions, something like that. Okay, that's awesome. I want a lovey book. Yeah, same. <laughs> like she is such a cool character, and she has such amazing fashion. Obviously, everyone on Counterbite has amazing fashion, but. I, and I also love Lily Cole. I think I saw her ages ago in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, the Terry Gilliam yeah. film. And I really liked her there. And so it's nice to see her resurface, even though it's literally for a few seconds. So yeah, give mm-hmm. give me that, the lovey Star Wars story. <laughs> That's the film I want, like high-level espionage. <laughs> How's your week been? Uh, yeah, no, it's been really good. I have also seen The Last Jedi one more time. Um, like in part prepare for this to be honest just because I was like ah it doesn't cost me anything <laughs> why not yeah and so yeah I trundled over to the cinema yesterday to watch it again and like you um there's like a limit to how many like earth-shattering realizations you have when watching the movie when you reach a certain number of views but I still really really enjoy it and it's lots of fun to watch it with an audience like it was amazing because I was sat next to this woman and she was so, so into those early scenes um, with the assault on the Dreadnought. Mm-hmm. And when it was like a matter of touch and go, whether Paige was going to be successful or not, like she literally was leaning forward in her seat. She had her hand clamped over her mouth. She was so, so into it. And I loved seeing wow. that. It was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It is kind of nice also because we've seen it a few times now to sit back and kind of gauge more of the audience reactions because I can tell a few of the people I'm going to see it with, they haven't seen it before. Mm. So it's all fresh to them and it's just as interesting to see what they think of it. Oh, absolutely. Like there's always this reaction to when Holdo makes her sacrifice because it's so like visually, wow. Yeah. And everything goes so quiet and there's always someone going, oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big moments. Yeah, the, the Holdo sacrifice. And the like Praetorian guard fight in Snoke dying. Like yeah. I think the real like moment of like audience response and it's like a real exhalation, I guess, is when Kylo ignites his lightsaber, or the Skywalker saber I should say, into the face of that guard who had him held. Um yeah. like everyone is just like, Oh thank god, they're safe. And that's so nice. Because seriously, it, it, after The Force Awakens, I could not imagine just a general audience being relieved to see Kylo Ren get out of a scrape 
or True. like escape harm. And yeah, there's something really satisfying about that. Yeah. So we've had lots of great feedback from last week's show, which was on Ray's journey, which has been really wonderful. We had a lot of fun talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was putting together the notes for this one, I was like, oh, I really want to make sure that while we're still talking about, you know, one of the main characters and obviously their journeys are very intertwined, you know, according to the data bank and all, mm-hmm. um, that we're saying new things and we're not being too repetitive. So I hope people feel like they're still going to get something out of this, even if they've listened to the previous episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're going to try our utmost to make sure we keep it very, very firmly grounded in Kaido's perspective of things. Um, So, yeah, there obviously will be some crossover just by the nature of the film itself because, yeah, the characters' journeys are wrapped up in each other and you can't really separate them in a clean way. But, yeah, I definitely think that Kylo has different angles on the scenes from Rey, for example, when they're together. So Mm -hmm. it will be very interesting to discuss from that perspective. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the way that he'll have a journey in terms of his own in-universe feelings and goals and everything. But also there's a there's slightly different journey going on in the audience's mind because we do learn a lot about him in scenes that he's not in. Mm, definitely. Um, obviously between Luke and Ray. So we'll, we will discuss those as well because those are obviously very important for his background motivation and perspective. Exactly. And I'm looking forward to discussing those sweet, sweet flashbacks. <laughs> Um, but right, just before we actually get into our discussion of Carlo's journey in The Last Jedi, there is a little piece of news that we want to discuss, and that is that there has been a special episode of the Star Wars show where the story group are wheeled into the room to talk about the secrets of The Last Jedi. And it's actually a really, really great video. Sorry, I don't mean to say that in like an incredulous way. Like, oh my god, the Star Wars show is actually good. Like, the Star Wars show is actually always really entertaining. It's really well produced. It's really amusing. Um, but this episode, it was really nice because it people were actually able to like dig deep into things in a way they haven't. Because obviously, when they're in the pre-release phase, it's like, oh, look at the practical effects. Oh, we're so excited, and they can't say anything substantive. But mm-hmm. now that the movie is out, they can actually have a ball and say pretty much what they like within certain limits but yeah i know you really like this video didn't you kirsty as well oh definitely because i would recommend that anyone go and listen to it or watch it i should say if they haven't already um because there are so many different interesting aspects of the story that they cover um so like they go into how luke being astral projected onto crate is foreshadowed throughout the movie and there's a few things that i've caught but Still, it's just interesting to hear it from their perspective as the creators, mm. um, because they'll have thought about these things for a long time before they put them in, and they'll have tried certain things and they didn't work out and stuff like that. Um, and even though we know how far back pre-production went and everything, it's just really cool to kind of get that perspective again because everything is so well thought out. And um, like when Pablo was talking about the Force connection scenes, the way that Ryan decided to shoot those in that very simple way and mm. um, he, he decided that from very early on so that was like a core component of the movie that he was he had decided pretty and like you know that was like a fundamental part of the story yeah. so it's, it's really interesting to kind of hear them talk about those things yeah that is such care put into those scenes i think like when you really think about it you can recognize that yeah they've been thinking about this for a long time and they clearly really 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 wanted to get this right and they did mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really cool to 
hear what Rain Roberts was saying because she um, linked it back to their interactions in The Force Awakens. And we've kind of had Ryan alluding to the stuff with the interrogation scene as well in interviews before the movie. But obviously now, like you say, they can talk about it a bit more openly. Mm. Um, So this is the quote from Rain. She says, well, it kind of all goes back to something Larry Kazan used to talk about when we were doing The Force Awakens. And it's not in the script, but, you know, when he peeks into her mind, there's something profound that happens between them. And the way Larry used to describe it was that there's this energy between them like this kind of almost, and I don't want to say it, but something a little bit more than you would expect. And I think it's fun to see it play out in this story as well. And I really loved that quote because I know there's been lots of discussion about like whether Snoke, you know, established the connection or whether it was already there. Um, and maybe it's like two different things that they had like this connection and then it evolved into a bond or whatever. Mm. But it's still, it's like a continuation of the same story. Like the, the JJ and Kazan had established the dynamic there and there was this really intriguing push and pull with them like going into each other's minds and seeing each other's vulnerabilities and everything. And then that manifests in this movie. And Ryan had thought about this from very early on, mm. that it was going to be like them communicating in this very intimate way that showcases both of their vulnerabilities. So, Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I love that Rain comes so, so close to actually spelling it out. Because mm-hmm. presumably she was going to say like sexual chemistry romantic chemistry something like that something similar to the comments mark made a while ago but she just stops herself yeah she has this kind of smile on her face as well like she's like oh i probably shouldn't go there yeah and it was really funny because andy who was hosting the like discussion like she then goes on to say it reminded me of the interaction between maul and ezra in rebels (laughs) and it's like yeah you can see why you'd think that but there is definitely something more to it than that yeah it's like that's again like we've talked about before like yes there is like the canon explanation which is that there's this connection between them and the force between a light side user and a dark side user but what's the story being told mm. and it's and kylo ren is clearly not more so <laughs> yeah and to be honest if the interactions between maul and ezra were on the same level as the ones between Rey and Kylo in The Last Jedi, I'd be a bit worried about Maul's relationship with Ezra. And I'd say mm-hmm. that was actually really inappropriate. <laughs> because Ezra's a child, okay? <laughs> a child. Yeah, and then um, Pablo went on to say, um, it feels like there's definitely a door open between the two of them in The Force Awakens, where they pull from each other in terms of skills and memories. And then that is all the more poignant at the end when that door essentially closes. So... This, again, is like an interesting thing because um, we've had it in the film, like Snoke talks about darkness rising and light to meet it. So that kind of hints at why, you know, fandom has been talking about how Rey and Kylo seem so equally matched and how she's able to defeat him, even though she's not been trained and everything. Mm. But he's like really spelling it out here that they're pulling from each other skills and memories. And it seemed blatant to me in The Force Awakens because then he leaves the cell and she can you know, she works the mind trick on that stormtrooper when she's never done it before. Yeah. She has to try it a few times, but still you'd, you'd wonder, how did she know that? And I know there were lots of theories about how maybe she'd been trained at the Jedi Academy and everything. And that's how she'd repress all the memories and they were all kind of coming back. But it really is like they awakened this thing in each other. Yeah. And they're very connected that way. And of course, at the end of the last Jedi, yeah, she closes the door and that's kind of a metaphor for this is kind of being put on hold now. Like, they're on a break or whatever, <laughs> however you want to phrase it. So it definitely cranks up the drama for nine. 
Um, yeah, and it's also worth mentioning that Pablo actually compares like that moment of Ray closing the door on Kylo to like I think it's at the end of the first Godfather film, where mm-hmm. the door is closed between Michael Corleone and his wife Kay. Um, I haven't seen the Godfather, um, so Wait, what? I know, I know. Oh okay, I haven't seen the C- Citizen Kane either. I feel really bad. I have a complex about it. Okay, I need oh, to correct wow. this. I know. I mean, you would love it. Let's go watch it. I know, I know, I know. Wow. Sorry, I, I, I it's really annoying when people do this. I know, like, oh my god, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. But I'm, <laughs> I'm genuinely shocked because you're a big film person. Like, no one is more conscious of this. Okay, so could you explain the context of? that happening in the godfather please because yeah you definitely know more than me yeah i haven't seen it in a while but basically their dynamic is that they care about each other and that like they fell in love and everything but then there's this ethical divide right like that he has decided yes i'm going to um play into my legacy in this family and i'm gonna be in the mafia and and she the door is closed on her. I don't quite buy the full parallel because I don't know if you've seen like the gift sets that people are posting, but um, Michael isn't the one to close the door and he's not even looking at Kay when it happens. Yeah. He's talking to people like about work. Mm. So it's almost, and, it, and obviously it's reversed because I'm guessing if Pablo's extending it beyond the visual parallel of the door closing, I'm not even sure that's what he's doing, but if he is, obviously Kylo is supposed to be the Michael in that situation. Yeah. But it's subverted because Ray closes the door. So yeah. it's the way around where it's like she's saying, look, I care about you, but we can't do this. Yeah. You know, like, sorry, I, I tried and you didn't come back with me. Yeah. So, so yeah, it is like two people who care for each other, but there's this moral divide. Yeah. Which is really interesting because, as we all know, there's another chapter to go. That's not the end of the story. So it, the question is that it's setting up is whether they can bridge that gap. Yeah, exactly. Um, and j- just from having watched a clip of the scene in question, I found it interesting because Kay is the one who looks heartbroken. And if anything, Kylo's response to the door closing it reminds me of Kay. I associate him more with the wife character than the Corleone character. Obviously, in right. a way, he is like the Corleone character because he is kind of, from his twisted perspective, thinking... Okay, I'm going to live up to my legacy as the Skywalker heir. I'm going to inherit the galaxy as my grandfather should have done. I'm going to fulfill this grand legacy that I'm meant to have, which is kind of, you can kind of see how that could be compared to a person choosing to accept their part in the mafia after having gone back and forth on it. But yeah, like I think in terms of the emotional connection between the characters, Kylo and Kay, they're the ones who both recognise that like a line is being drawn and they're the ones who are devastated by that. Like Ray is the one who's resolute and like, no, not, not no more. Not right now. No, thank you. She's the one who closes it and she doesn't look, she looks disappointed, not heartbroken. And yeah, like you say, it's hard to compare exactly because Michael isn't even looking at Kay. Yeah. So it's actually a really interesting parallel because you can't take it literally because both characters embody the other two characters in different ways. Mm. so I, I don't know how much thought Pablo put into the parallel probably not very much he probably just it occurred to him as he was talking was like oh yeah it's the door closing in that other iconic movie yeah um but yeah it's interesting because it does play into those ideas of like 
having compassion for someone who just sees the world in a very different way from you and it's like yeah it's raises the stakes some of the other interesting things that they were talking about were things like um the use of hans dice as a motif like obviously Mm -hmm. they wanted to have him as kind of a ghostly figure haunting the rest of the skywalkers and the interesting part was that ryan had come up with that based on what jj was doing in the force awakens because the dice were originally supposed to be in that movie Mm. and they out like I don't know how prominently they were supposed to be featured it was probably just supposed to be like one shot as Han like you know goes into the Falcon again for the first time and maybe sees them I actually read that um it was Han hanging the dice back up in the cockpit so that he had kept them with him and then when he was reunited with the Falcon he put the dice back up but don't quote me on that that was just something I imagine myself having heard so it's possible it's a complete fantasy Right, but I still think it works really well in the movie anyway. Like, it's very clear when Luke gets them down. Like, yeah. you know, they obviously belong to Han. And he's feeling that weight and sadness. And then he gives them to Leia. And at that point, you know, she's realising that Luke isn't really there. Mm. And then and then Kylo picks them up later. So it's only the other Skywalkers who ever handled them, right? Yeah. Um, it's just very well done, I think. Yeah. No, it was a really beautiful symbol like you say because it means so much and again there's so many different ways you could read it in terms of what that dice means but yeah like you say I think it's really important to note that it's only the Skywalkers who handle those dice and I guess in a way them handling the dice when they have them they're all thinking about Han and they're all thinking about the circumstances in which he was lost and yeah that's so fascinating because with Luke especially when he's handling those dice, that's probably when he's at his lowest point and he's thinking, no, there's nothing I can do. This is awful. Everything's gone to crap, but I'm helpless. And then I think just after he gets the dice down from the cockpit, that's when R2 shows him the projection of Leia. And that's obviously the starting point for him where he begins to go on this road back towards like, oh, okay, I actually do want to start making some steps back towards the outside world. I do want to think about my sister again. I do want to reach out. And then when Leia handles the dice, that's when she's like, I held out hope for so long, but I know my son's gone. And I think that's probably what that triggers for her in a way, because she's looking at this symbol of her husband. And then naturally that makes her think of her son and what her son did to her husband and all that kind of thing. And then at the very end, when Kylo handles the dice, then obviously he's thinking about everything he's lost. And that makes it so powerful to me, because then when he bows his head in the way that he does, there's clearly so much pain and emotion there and so much regret. And, oh, it's so visceral. And I love it. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that they are shown to disappear from his hands. Mm. It's like, that's the ghost of his father. He can't escape those memories. But then even that physical object is gone and he really is left there with nothing. Yeah. Exactly. And like I'll go into this more when we talk about Kylo's arc, but I really do think that one of the big ideas of the film is that the older generation is moving on and they can't help you anymore. You need to be your own people. You need to define yourself apart from your parents, apart from your mentors. And I think that Kylo is forced to do that in an especially brutal way because of his actions, because he has tried to kill the past as we've Mm -hmm. seen, which literally includes trying to kill all of his father figures one by one. And in two cases, he's successful with that because he does kill Han and he does kill Snoke. And they're both like 
fathers to him in a way and he also tries to call Luke who's like his other father figure and he's unsuccessful in that but he tries and yeah so I think that he is forced to learn the lesson that every other character in the film learns he's just forced to learn it in an especially painful way because he chose a very unwise course of action mm-hmm. yeah I I have so many different thoughts about the Luke and Kylo confrontation and I feel differently about it every time I see it yeah. so I guess in a way I am getting something new out of the, the movie even repeated viewings yeah. because there's so much going on uh, I think I talked last week about how there's such a weird mix of like tonal things going on there's all this tough love there's mm. Luke's regret there's this element of catharsis so you can look at it in a way that like Luke was trying to do Kylo a favor by letting him get all that anger out on him in a way that he couldn't actually do any harm yeah it's so interesting but we should probably move on to talking about Kylo's art because we're kind of doing it already yeah we're basically desperate aren't we we're like champing (laughs) a bit (laughs) there's so much to say oh my god right okay so with Kylo's arc in The Last Jedi um the first time that we get Kylo is there's a cut from Luke asking where's Han to Kylo going up in the elevator to Snoke's throne room yeah, I love that because it is like Han is still with Kylo. Like yeah. he is haunting him. Exactly. And I also love that in that confrontation with Snoke, you get the whole line about Ben having too much of his father's heart in him. Mm-hmm. And there's the association there on so many different levels because Kylo is the killer of Han Solo, but he's also the son of Han Solo. And in a way, he is also quite like Han Solo. <laughs> Yeah, and that we also had Han Solo saying there was too much Vader in him. Mm. So it's like there were all these warring personalities embodied in this like distillation of mm. the Skywalker legacy in this one person. Like no wonder he's being torn apart. Yeah, exactly. He's been torn in different directions. And yeah, so Kylo enters the room and <laughs> Hux is being praised because that's exactly what Kylo needs in that moment. He needs to see his arch rival getting like a pat on the back from Daddy. And yeah, like as Hux leaves, he gives Kylo just that little wicked smirk, <laughs> which Donald Gleason is so good at. And I, I seriously, I love the whole dynamic between Kylo and Hux, especially in this film. Just like the level of like rivalry and hatred and jealousy, it's so wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love how it's conveyed with all these little moments. And. Yeah, it's interesting to me that like the first thing Snoke do- says to Kylo is about why he's even keeping Hux around. And the line is something like, um, like keep a rabid curb because you can exploit his weaknesses and turn him into a useful tool. That's not the exact line, but that's the sentiment Snoke is expressing. And it's interesting. So it's almost like Snoke is justifying himself, but he's also giving Kylo a bit of a lesson as so many characters try to give Kylo lessons, to be honest. And yeah, I kind of wonder how much Kylo will be able to apply that lesson going forward. And obviously that's a question mark for episode nine, because we don't know what that dynamic is going to evolve into, but whatever it does, it's going to be interesting. Sorry, I've been rabbiting on. <laughs> well, it's also foreshadowing of what Snoke is actually about to do with Kylo himself, right? Mm. so it all comes full circle when he's talking to Ray later he's like yeah I manipulated him like I used him as a tool to get you here so that you would tell me where Luke is yeah so. no that's re- a really good point I actually hadn't thought of that like that's what I love about this film that the lines they have so many different layers to them and there's so many different implications 
and mm-hmm. yeah, it's really effective. Yeah, the Snoke, uh, the Kylo and Hook's dynamic, like the way that Snoke uses them, is really interesting because then later, like we'll talk about it, obviously, but once Snoke is gone, it's like all of that tension that's been bubbling over or threatening to bubble over is like it's all out there in the open, and there's no mm. one really holding them back. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, yeah, Snoke has had them both on a leash, basically. And, yeah, things are about to get pretty tense. Pretty nasty. Yeah, and then the scene evolves between them. And there's some just, frankly, fascinating dialogue between them. I love this whole scene. It's such a great reintroduction to the character. And it's also a really great exploration of the dynamic between Snoke and Ben. Because I don't think you ever really go that deep into it in The Force Awakens. Most of the scenes with Kylo and Snoke, they're kind of like exposition-y scenes. Mm. It's like, in the hands of your father, Han Solo. (laughs) Whereas here we really get a sense of how Snoke is manipulating him. Yeah, you don't really see Snoke being overly cruel to Kylo in The Force Awakens. Because it's like he hasn't really had a chance to mess up at that point. Like, yes, Rey escapes and everything, and he's told to bring her to me and all that. But we don't see the repercussions of Kylo's failures but now Mm. we are and even though I I had anticipated things like yeah Snoke is probably going to torture him and like mock him and everything it's still when you get it it's like oh god this is really horrible yeah (laughs) and the way like Kylo you know he trivialized his wound is like he's saying it's nothing um it's like obviously we know that is not the case because we saw how things went in the, the end of The Force Awakens. We saw him have the bowcaster wound from Chewie and then Ray slashed him across the face. But he's like so desperate to prove that he's still strong mm. and everything is fine and he wasn't humiliated with his defeat to Ray and everything. Mm. And it's interesting like thinking about, because he's, he's obviously only wearing the mask for a very short period of time, but the things that he says when he's in the mask mm. it seem quite different. It's almost like when he takes the mask off, he's a bit more defiant to Snoke. Yeah. It's like when he's wearing it, it's like... I. The way he says, like, I've given everything I have to you to the dark side, it's like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no, I don't know, there's not, like, so much pride there. But then he takes it off and he starts fighting back and he's a bit more like, I didn't hesitate. And I mean, he's obviously lying to himself. but Yeah. I think he sounds almost tremulous <laughs> when he's talking mm. from behind the mask. And I think it's probably because the mask gives him the extra layer of protection that he doesn't have when his face is exposed. So when his face is exposed, he does actually try to be more aggressive with how he speaks because he knows he looks soft and sweet. <laughs> yeah. I need to try and be angry and look threatening, but it's not working. The really interesting thing for me is that I had kind of thought, and maybe we'll get stuff in nine that changes my perception back again, but from The Force Awakens, I'd really thought that it was all about Kylo being fascinated by Vader and being desperate to live up to that but in this film the way that Snoke compares him to Vader and finds him lacking is like does he only think that because of what Snoke says to him Mm. that like he sees that as his legacy just because it was like well that was the alternative presented to him once he had to leave Luke's temple well I think it's actually really interesting because I get the impression based on stuff that Luke and Snoke say is that both of them really valued Kylo for his bloodline, or I should say Ben, really, um, because you have like Snoke saying, um, when I found you, I saw what all masters live to see, roar and tamed power, and beyond that, something truly special, the potential of your bloodline. 
And then later on, when Luke is explaining why he chose to take on Ben Solo as, as an apprentice in the first place, he says that he saw that mighty Skywalker blood, and he was basically mm. like, oh, I've got to do something with this. And so I really get this impression of this child who, ever since he went to Luke, was always brought up on this idea of the importance, the paramount importance of his own lineage and how special and important that made him. Right. And yeah, I think that's something that Luke and Snoke have completely fed into. I think Snoke obviously had much more malevolent self-serving reasons for doing that than Luke did. Although there was clearly some vanity and hubris in what Luke did. But yeah, I think it's something that's been drummed into Ben's head so many times that he believes it himself. So he's brought into the myth of the mighty Skywalker blood and he considers himself almost like duty bound to fulfill that legacy. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting to think about like whether he sees that as like a gift or a burden. Mm. Probably both. Yeah, I think yeah. it's both. Yeah. But like, yeah, Snoke uses that as a way to mock him and um, comparing him more to Han is really heartbreak because he says like killing your father split your what does he say split you to the bone yeah and look at you the deed split your spirit to the bone Mm. yeah and i love the way that he expresses it as well um snoke tells kylo you have too much of your father's heart in you young solo and again there's so much going on when he says things like this because father's heart like he presumably means like weakness but Father's Heart, we also see in the original trilogy that perhaps the defining aspect of Han's arc is his relationship with Leia. Because mm. if you think about it, Han is... like I love Han, but he's kind of a flat character apart from that relationship. Like He mostly sparks and he's mostly defined in relation to Leia, especially from The Empire Strikes Back onwards. And yeah, so I kind of think there's foreshadowing in terms of Kylo's feelings for Rey when he says that. But, yeah, and it's also, like, Han was obviously this anti-hero and you can consider him a bit of an asshole until he develops that heart and is okay with expressing his care for other people and decides that there is a cause worth fighting for, right? Mm. Um, so, yeah, like, someone like Snoke is obviously going to perceive that as a weakness, but I would perceive it as a strength. Yeah, exactly. And, again, it's all about this conditioning and this being told to think that like having compassion and having human emotion that that is a bad thing when that's actually something to be embraced and accepted yeah like how he looks he looks so pathetic (laughs) it's a bit when he um after snoke has like stunned him with force lightning and he stands up Mm. he looks so young he does like really boyish it's like how is this person supposed to be 30 again? <laughs> yeah. It's he is like really a child. Well I mean, Snoke says it, right? He's like, you're just a child in a mask. Like, he's... Yeah. I really love that line. Like, Circus really does kill it. Like, in terms of the delivery of that line, he just looks so horribly disappointed, which is obviously the point, because, like, later on, if we're going to believe Snoke, he tells Ray that he deliberately stoked Kylo's conflict in order to like, make Ray sympathise of him. So I think that he's really beating Kylo over the head with his failure, to like deliberately to make him feel like shit and to make him feel more vulnerable and to 
make him even more conflicted. And there's something so incredibly twisted and cruel about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's vile. Yeah. And then after Kylo leaves the throne room, we have that moment of him in the elevator. So obviously he's alone. And you can see that blatant vulnerability and upset on his face before it turns to that aggressive rage as he crushes the helmet. Yeah. So, I mean, this must, apart from the ending, when we see him crouch down on the floor, this is probably one of the moments that we see him when he's truly alone because the rest of the time he's like interacting with Ray. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just so much conflict there. Yeah, exactly. He's really, really tortured. And like just this overwhelming levels of like violence and rage within him like there's something both like pitiful about it and obviously terrifying because he is so strong and he can cause such damage which is like the whole thing with the character that there is something very relatable and sympathetic about him but he's also dangerous because of how he channels all these dark feelings and resentments and rages Mm. But the and, fact that he's crushing the helmet, it's like, are you only doing that because Snoke just called it ridiculous? <laughs> or would you have just like car- carried on wearing it? It's like he still can't really escape that mindset of trying to please his master. Because, yeah. I mean, what do we see him do next? He goes off and like tries to kill Leia because that's what he feels like Snoke would want to prove himself. Yeah, exactly. It's like he's grasping at straws almost at this point because he feels like a total failure. Like, on every level, because he's failed, like, at being a Padawan to Luke Skywalker. Now he feels like he's failing at being an apprentice to Snoke. And, yeah, so he's kind of, like, in that state where he's just, like, desperate. And he's just doing whatever he feels he has to in the given moment in order to appease his master and to hold on to that goodwill and trust that Snoke does offer when you're actually pleasing him like Hux was pleasing him at the start of that scene mm-hmm. um and yeah so I think it's about expressing his rage at himself basically and at his own failures because I think then it makes sense of why he then goes on to try and attack leadership yeah and all this stuff like you say is like in the moment spontaneous pain and aggression that like feeds into this idea that what Kylo's trying to do is not particularly well thought out. It's not like he has this grand overarching aim. Yeah. So like I know after the force awakens, when he speaks to the helmet and says, I'll finish what you started. We all had theories about what that would mean, mm. but it's still very vague. And it might just be this like ill-defined, you know, I, I want to bring order to the galaxy that he starts to say when he make, makes the offer to Ray, but mm. there's not, I don't think I can't think of him as this like master manipulator and orchestrator of events because he's so clearly in emotional pain. Yeah, but there's nothing. He's not like he's Palpatine, you know. He's not orchestrating this big takeover and coup. Yeah, I think there's a great deal of evidence in the movie to indicate that he is not a strategic mastermind. Um, to put it mildly, <laughs> um, and then also, can I just express a moment of sympathy for those two poor First Order officers who are just like randomly accosted? in order to, like, do Kylo's bidding. Because I'm pretty sure that's not, like, in their job descriptions. I'm interested to know whether they would actually recognise him with the helmet or not. <laughs> like, he says, prepare my ship. It's like, well, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm pretty sure if he's um dressed like that and, <laughs> like, just has that bearing to him, they're probably, oh, yeah, that's Kylo Ren. 
<laughs> and then they're probably laughing about him when they're in their private quarters. Like, He's such a child. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I just like I'm sorry to jump ahead, and I'll keep this brief. But I just can't imagine what a joke like all the higher ups in the first order must think about Kylo proclaiming himself supreme leader. It's just hilarious to me. I can't take it seriously. I can't yeah. imagine how anyone in the first order could take it seriously. Because it's like it you see it through Hux, right? That he's like scared of Kylo's power mm. but he doesn't respect it. No. Because <laughs> it is just like lashing out, you know. Um Yeah. He doesn't have the same presence as someone like Snoke. Like he's never gonna be that kind of person. So Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um right. Then we have Kylo leading an assault on the Radus, which is the resistance like flagship, I guess. And like <laughs> I'm sorry to be superficial for a moment. But there is something so sexy about that shot of him in the cockpit at first where he says, follow my lead. Okay. <laughs> in so such I a actually, sexy way. Sorry. I actually see it very differently. I find it really funny because <laughs> he is so big and that ship looks so tiny. It's like a, <laughs> it's like an adult trying to fit into one of those little like toy cars <laughs> the kids play with. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. I just love Adam Driver's voice, okay? Follow my lead. <laughs> okay, you pretend that you've got it all together. <laughs> yeah, like he—he—he's so cute. He does this whole like thing, like yeah, I'm gonna be like a really look badass commander, and I can like order ships around and stuff. My favorite part is when he does the spinning because it's—it's so Anakin. Yes, that has to be intentional. Yeah, like um, doesn't like Anakin have a quote about like spinning in the Phantom Menace when he's a little boy? Hmm. It's a good trick. Yes. And then, of course, we see it in Revenge of the Sith as well. So I feel like that's like more obvious visual parallel. But Yeah, they should have had Kylo say that's a good trick. <laughs> to himself under his breath, like, yeah, <laughs> trick. Thanks, Grandpa. I <laughs> want these parallels. God damn it. Um, yeah, so Kylo is doing quite a good approximation of being a First Order badass and doing lots of damage to the ship and everything. Until he and his mum sense each other. And yeah, I was wondering, do you want to talk about this moment a bit, Kirsty? Uh, sure. So we've had some recent updates to the Star Wars databank, which are always interesting. Um, so it says there that enraged and desperate to prove himself to his master, Kylo attacked the Resistance fleet in his custom TIE fighter, determined to destroy it. He took aim at his mother with a torpedo, but found himself unable to fire. And then, and I think there's two different sections. There's like a main biography, and then there's like a gallery of pictures mm. and stories. And there's another part that says, "Castigated by Snoke as weak and sentimental, Kylo led a mission to destroy Leia Organa's Resistance flagship, but found himself unable to fire on his mother." Yeah. So it does feed into this idea that he's like there trying to prove himself to Snoke because he's been told that he's too sentimental, like his father. Mm. Um, and he proves Snoke very correct in that. Yeah. Um, like observation of him yeah I mean ultimately obviously the people that he's working with they shoot so you can argue about whether it really makes a difference or not because obviously he's still complicit but the, the emotionality of it like you can still see the look on his face when he realizes that they have shot and that yeah that's damaged to layer I'm so interested and we this is the kind of thing that Star Wars is probably never going to answer because they do gloss over this kind of stuff but it's like did he 
think that she died in that moment? Did mm. he still sense that she was alive? Yeah. It's never really acknowledged. Um, he looks sad, but yeah. he has to get called back to the ship. So yeah, it's a really ambiguous moment, and I would love to like learn more about what he knew of what actually happened in that moment, because Leia was unconscious after that point, so she presumably wasn't like present in the Force like until like later on when we see her communicating with Luke and yeah so he could have easily thought he'd taken like his men had taken her out in that moment but well, yeah. wouldn't she, have had, she used the force to get back into the ship and wouldn't that have taken a large amount of force energy so if anything would he be able to sense that like I'm would not he sure know how the force she... works in that way to be honest well yeah like it's this again they can they can make it whatever they want can't they <laughs> yeah they really can I guess it's like that whole thing in TFA like where does does Kylo know that Han is like ten feet away yeah. from him? <laughs> it's like right. what? Uh, yeah, so things that will probably never be answered, but I'd like to see answered because yeah, reasons. Um, I guess it could be answered in that they might be modifying the story for nine to include aspects of this. Yeah, because they might have to to like wrap up that dynamic between them because we you know we're not going to see them face to face now. Yeah, so maybe stuff like this could play in with him talking to Ray or someone else about it. Yeah, exactly. It's easy to like envisage a kind of scene where, like, if Leia has died and like Ray's angry with Kylo and she's saying, "Well, you wanted her dead anyway," and he'd be like, "I never wanted her dead, not not yeah. truly." And then like, I didn't even fire on her. That sort of thing. Um, that's the sort of thing the scene brings. And it's also this scene, the scene with Leia, where Kylo can't bring himself to fire, also serves a very important purpose in terms of the film as a whole, because. Obviously, the whole thing with Kylo's arc throughout the film is that it does really build you up to really think that he's going to turn back to the light. And I think the fact that he doesn't fire on his mother and he has that heartbreaking reaction to seeing his wingmates fire on her and take her out, like all of that stuff that does create the bedrock upon which the rest of the apparent progression towards redemption for him is built. Because yeah. unless you have that very concrete action of him choosing not to take that shot and him moving his thumb off that, then I think people probably would have read the subsequent scenes between him and Ray in a very different way. Like, imagine if right. he had taken that shot. Like, people would think he was an absolute monster and they would have read those scenes with Ray in a much more sinister way. I think they would have been more inclined to see them as, oh, Kylo's manipulating her, rather than, mm-hmm. oh, these two people are forming a genuine connection. Yeah, for sure. One time when I went to see it, there was a girl sat next to me who mm. at this moment in the movie, was she whispered like, oh, I knew there was still good in him, <laughs> which Aww. is pretty sweet. But I was like, let's see how you feel at the end of the movie. <laughs> 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 it's a roller coaster. Mm. It really, really is. The first time watching it was such an emotional journey I can't even describe. Um, yeah, so to move on, the next time we see Kylo after he's dragged back to the supremacy by Hux, which he clearly hates, because of course he does, um, is we see him alone in his private quarters, having his face stitched back together, and as Kirsty puts it, having his goth band-aid removed, which is amazing. <laughs> um, they gradually start to sense each other. And I love how it's played from Kylo's side. So I love how mm. there's the little droid floating by his face and he literally yeah. waves it off. He's like, wait, 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 what's this? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what's no, no, going no. on? <laughs> Something much more exciting is happening. 
Um, yeah, so do you want to guide us through the scene a bit, Kirsty? Yeah, so like as they're both starting to sense each other, it's really cool. The whole the sound design in this movie in general is excellent, but I particularly love this moment how it like starts to synchronize their breaths together. Mm. It kind of reminds me of the interrogation scene a little bit, um, but it just kind of like builds the moment, and obviously the audience is trying to work out what's going on at the same time as them. Mm. And then like Ray shoots at him, <laughs> which is awesome. Yes. and he just kind of doubles over with surprise like he clearly wasn't expecting that but mm. he doesn't react with anger or anything it's still like what the hell is this yeah um it's just like just, just openness um and then he runs out into the hall and we get that little slippy slide moment <laughs> which is also really cute kylo ran in his socks yeah it's just like did that really happen um, I love it and so i think much. all of this stuff is kind of supposed to present it as like childlike curiosity and like because this has never happened to either of them. But it's just it's very interesting to me how Ray doesn't seem to question any of it, but maybe because he knows more about the Force, he knows how abnormal this is. Yeah. Um, and, of course, being Kylo, the first thing he tries is to manipulate Ray through it. But I think this is really important, actually, because, like we were saying, there is all of this talk, you know, it was he manipulating her the whole time? Like, what is a little trick from his perspective? Well, one, we get... Snow saying no actually it was me who manipulated you but also I think it's very intentional that Ryan had him say this first like you will bring Luke Skywalker to me and he's reaching out in that classic Kylo Ren way to try and Mm. you know mind trick her yeah but the way she reacts is like uh no that's not gonna work and then he's kind of left with that facial expression like oh okay Better start talking to you then and figuring out what this actually is. <laughs> yeah. He just looks so embarrassed. It's really funny to me. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he can't manipulate her through the bond. So it kind of sets the stage for like everything else we see between them is them being genuine. Yeah. Like we know at the end that Snoke has been like, kind of orchestrating things in the background, but their interactions and that's what matters are just them like being real with each other. So. Yeah, I think what I love so much about like this first Force Bond scene and all the subsequent ones is just like the complete sincerity. Like you say, it comes after that moment of you will bring Luke Skywalker to me. But for Kylo especially from that moment on, it's all just like his fascination and his curiosity and like genuine feelings for each other. And I find that so powerful and it's so like effectively performed by Adam and Daisy because you really do buy that the interactions are real in a way that you would never really anticipate from this kind of movie as well. Like, can you imagine a Marvel movie having two characters interacting in this kind of, like, deep, profound, thought-provoking way? You know, I can never see that. No, but that's always why I think of Star Wars as something a bit different. I know it can be dumb and it's pulpy, but it's also, you know, it has these mythological, fantastical elements that... I just love so much. So Yeah. And I think you also raised a good point earlier, Kirsty, about Kylo potentially asking questions of Ray about what's happening because he knows more. So he has a bit more of a framework for what's happening. Because obviously um one of the key things Kylo says in this scene is if you were doing this, the effort would kill you. Yeah, And that's very important for shadowing for what Luke does at the end of the film um, because that indicates that Kylo is aware of the whole astral projection thing. 
So he knows of that as something that it's possible to do in the Force, but he also knows that it's something that would take far more energy and expertise than Ray possesses. So he's able to like eliminate that as a possibility. And I think that being able to eliminate that as a possibility, it does create this idea in Kylo's mind that this is something more profound and something more mystical and important. And yeah, I think the subsequent scenes, they also ind- indicate how seriously he takes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just love the way that Ray, is totally understandable, right? Like we talked about last year, last week, the way that she reacts just shooting him and like being angry and saying you're going to pay for what you did but it's like totally at odds with his reaction Mm. and I just love that right here because the the other I mean I guess it's echoed in the second one as well but it's just like they're in very different places in terms of how they feel about each other because I really felt like Kylo was going to be angry with Ray yeah at start and it's partly because the kind of marketing was kind of leading us into thinking that like he was going to want revenge are are you thinking of like the um, like entertainment weekly stuff where it's like that well, that's, garbage that's pickup example, yeah <laughs> yeah but it was like actually it was Snoke who was angry about the defeat Kylo doesn't seem bothered by it at all doesn't yeah. even comment on the wound like he's not you know he does not like oh look at what you did you're like you're not going to pay for what you did yeah like he doesn't feel like that he needs to get this revenge on Ray. Yeah, and in that scene with Snoke, Kylo's anger, it doesn't seem to be directed at Rey, it's directed actually at Snoke more. Like, mm. he's angry with Snoke for humiliating him rather than being angry with Rey for having defeated him. Like, he just doesn't like having it pointed out. Like, so then he stands up to, like, try and defend himself, almost. Yeah. And then that's when Snoke blasts him with the Force Lightning. Um, but yeah, like you say, through none of the interactions between Rey and Kylo do you ever get the remotest sense that he's like angry with her or resentful of his defeat at her hands and that's so wonderful because i think that would have been a bit of a boring route for them to take to be honest and it would have just created some like extra fat that would have just needed to be overcome because like i do love ray's responses to kylo and i think they're completely appropriate for her but can you imagine how frustrated it would have been if the first few four spawn scenes had just been both of them going like oh you monster you snake <laughs> and kind of going oh you horrible girl for defeating me oh i hate you Ugh. it would have been horrendous well because i before we knew that the fourth one was going to play out this way i was anticipating their first interaction to be that duel that we heard about yeah. you know I thought it was going to be that they were both really angry at each other and then something would happen there to change the dynamic. But obviously yeah. this is very different. Um, so I, another thing that I love is that this kind of sets up his first indirect contact with Luke. Cause I mean, I don't, it's not clear whether he actually hears Luke say what's all that about, or if he just knows that Ray is like turning her head as if someone else is there and he guesses that it's Luke. Yeah. Cause he, he does say like, I can't see your surroundings. So yeah. Um, but I, I would guess he sees her turn in her head. Yeah, because I, I know that, and we talked about this last week, With like, you're one of these people who were kind of disappointed about how little Ray was featured in the third act. Mm. But it, if I think about it, a lot of these moments, they're all kind of building up to Kylo and Luke having that showdown because really, like, that's kind of what The Force Awakens did. I know Luke was a MacGuffin and it was like the Resistance were looking for him, but we don't know before that how long Kylo's been looking for Luke. Yeah, it could have been years, really. It could have been ever since the the temple thing happened. Yeah, exactly. So, it, it, God, it makes it all the more tragic, but also kind of funny that it's like he finally confronts him, and then it all just goes apart because he can't control his emotions. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a tragic comedy, really. Yeah. Right, so then the next thing to talk about is a scene where Kylo does not feature, but he is spoken about. So it's in Ray's first lesson with Luke. And, like, towards the end of it, after Ray demonstrates her strength in the Force, Luke says, I've seen this raw strength only once before, in Ben Solo. And yes, most interesting line. What did you get from it, Kirsty? I I really like, well, and again, this was one of the things that was kind of debated when the, the trailer came out, right? Like, who was Luke referring to? Because we didn't have him saying then, Ben Solo. Mm. Um, but I really like it because thematically it really is setting up this direct comparison between the two characters. Like, he's literally saying to Ray, I've only seen this one time before. And this is Luke Skywalker talking about. It. He's seen a lot. And it's, you know, I, you're, I'm comparing you to Ben Solo, my nephew, who was just as powerful. And look what happened to him. Yeah. Um, so it really is Luke kind of biggest nightmare, right? Like that he he's like, okay, I'm really reluctant to train this girl, but I because of what happened with my nephew. But I guess I'll give you a few lessons, and then this is what he finds in the first lesson. Yeah. Um, and obviously it kind of comes full circle when Snoke is talking about it later, and he, and he confirms it as well, right? That he's saying that they that I, darkness I rises how. and light to meet it. Yeah, but I don't know how far to take that. I guess it's because Snoke could be seen as like an unreliable narrator because mm-hmm. he's so villainous. I feel like JJ can expand on that as little or as much as he wants in terms of whether the Force gave Rey Force sensitivity so that she could be Kylo's counterpart yeah. or mirror. Um, so yeah, this is kind of like the first taste we get of that. Yeah. So it is building on that notion. Exactly. And kind of sets the stage there. And it also creates an interesting parallel between Luke and Snoke, one of many. I think we should have a Luke episode, actually. There's so much oh, to definitely. say about Luke's journey. Will, yeah. Yeah, that'd be really worthwhile. Right, so in the next Force Bond scene, we see Kylo, and he's looking out upon a First Order hangar, and he's holding his hands in front of him. And it very much seems like a parallel shot to one that you get of Anakin in Attack of the Clones, where, did you say he's meditating, Kirsty? I think that's the implication there, right? That he's had the nightmares throughout the night, and then he's thinking on them as Padme comes and interrupts him. Yeah. Does Padme, like, ask him what was wrong? It's been so long since I saw Attack of the Clones, I can't remember the context. Yeah, she knows that he's been having dreams about his mother. Mm, Sad times. Yeah. So then he senses Ray and he turns around and again it's just pure fascination and curiosity that seem to characterise him in this whole scene um, because he asks why is the force connecting us, you and I and yeah obviously Ray doesn't really have answers for him <laughs> because... There's a snake! <laughs> yeah. I find this part really funny I don't know if it's like Daisy's delivery or if it's just so over the top. But the way she says, like, it's too late. You've lost. I found Skywalker. It's like, all right. Yeah, yeah. Like, why are you so sure? Maybe she's just trying to mask her own, like, um, the way she's seeing, okay, I really thought that Luke was going to be willing to train me and everything, and he's obviously not. She's, like, trying to pretend that everything's good and the resistance is going to kick ass. Mm. But it's like, mm, okay. <laughs> is he very sure of yourself there? I get the sense that she's really disconcerted and that her kind of like coping mechanism is to just try and be as black and white about everything as she possibly can be because that's like a source of comfort. 
And obviously yeah. the whole point of Kylo's character is that he's not out to comfort, he's out to unsettle, he's out to question. He's like trying to like avoid having things being taken for granted. Because that's almost like the point of Rey in these scenes, that she does take a lot of things for granted. Like she takes Kylo's like monstrousness for granted and his innate evil for granted. And I, I think it's also like partly because she's probably like really disturbed by the fact that Luke is comparing her to Kylo Ren because she's like holy crap gosh I don't want to be like him that's a monster Mm -hmm. so like she's trying to like further delineate that line between them the line between good and evil to like escape that comparison almost yeah and yeah like obviously Kylo he's not interested in that at all he's out to like really get to the truth of the matter I think Mm-hmm. yeah that is interesting because it is like she's trying to reject the shadow that Luke like really drew that comparison mm. and then I think I mentioned it last week when Kylo's like saying like yeah you called me a monster and yes I am mm. again because it feeds in with what Luke and Snoke are saying about them being equals it's like okay well what does that make Ray? and how would people maybe perceive her yeah. Like I, I know that she's good, so it's not like people are going to straight out say you're a monster. But I do anticipate some conflict when people realise potentially like what nature the connection is between her and Kylo. Exactly, and yeah, like I just love the way this whole scene is played, um, because like there's that great like line from Kylo where he's like, "You have that look in your eyes from the forest when you called me a monster." And obviously Ray tells him, you are a monster. And then Kylo says, yes, I am. And it's like the most Heathcliff, like Byronic moment you could possibly envisage. <laughs> He's just desperate to be more monstrous than maybe he can be. Mm. Uh, like if you see that throughout his story. But it's so interesting because it really is like almost the opposite of Anakin, who's mm. like, who is doing monstrous things, but is also, I don't know. I think it's actually a really interesting line because it can be read in so many different ways. I don't think that reading of it is wrong, but I actually read it more as this like bitter resignation. Like, yes, I am. And it's not necessarily that he loves or relishes being a monster. It's just that he feels that he's gone so far that he can't escape his own monstrousness because he's done so many wicked things. And he has this like tainted, cursed blood that has seemingly driven all these generations of Skywalker men to do all these terrible things and to like seek power and yeah be monsters in their own ways because he clearly considers Luke a monster as well it must be said and so for Ben Solo he considers himself another in a long line of Skywalker monsters yeah sure i i just think it's like it is like he's monstrous in the almost the reverse of Anakin because like just the way that, like, Kylo seems to be desperate to... Because he's desperate to prove himself in that way to his master. But mm. also there's all of this other stuff subtly coming out, like that he does have those feelings and the vulnerability and the compassion for Rey. Whereas, mm. like, with Anakin, it's like... It's a fall. It's like a temptation fall. It's, it, because it's the... I guess it's whatever the direction of the arc is. So, like... Anakin is like trying really hard to fit in with the Jedi Order and seem, you know, like, oh no, it's it's all good. I can handle it. I love Padme. And then like he's struggling the almost the opposite way. Yeah. So 
don't know. There's so much it, complexity. It's yeah. ridiculous in a great way. It's also important to mention how the scene ends um, because, yeah, it's raining where Ray is. And then at the very end of the scene, we see that there's some like rain or moisture or whatever on Kaido's face that he wipes off. Well, I feel like, again, that is showing that there is more curiosity in terms of how it works on Kylo's end mm. because it's it's more like Ray's stuff is bleeding into his. Yeah. like... She, there's very little apart from when she sees him shirtless but that's like him it's not his surroundings mm. but it is like he's being drawn more into her world than she is to his which is interesting oh, definitely. when they actually meet again it's her going to the supremacy yeah and that indicates that's the bad thing that's what should not be happening like she shouldn't be going into his world he needs to go into hers mm. like those natural environments the whole way through the movie until he gets to crate. He's just like on the supremacy in these like dark, shiny rooms. Yeah. So it's almost like these little parts of it's like nature kind of filtering its way through mm. for him to feel that like natural water through the bond there. It's like something is reaching him. Yeah. You know? It's like there's no light or warmth really in a lot of the supremacy. It seems like a pretty depressing place. Mm. And then we have another lesson from Luke to Ray where we ascertain even more about Ben Solo. So Luke says, My nephew, with that mighty Skywalker blood, and in my hubris, I thought I could train him, I could pass on my strength. Han was Han about it, but Leia trusted me with her son. I took him and a dozen students and began a training temple. By the time I realised I was no match for the darkness rising in him, it was too late. Ray says, What happened? I went to confront him, and he turned on me. And then you have the flashback and he says, Ben, no. He must have thought I was dead. When I came to, the temple was burning. He had vanished with a handful of my students and slaughtered the rest. Leia blamed Snow, but it was me. I failed. So I think this stuff is interesting because it's obviously Luke like wrestling with his responsibility, but he's still not giving Ray the full story. So he's like, yeah, I failed, but he's still too ashamed to share in exactly which way. Mm. So, yeah, it's no wonder that Ray's like, yeah, Kylo failed you. You didn't fail him because she doesn't know what actually happened. Yeah. It's a very illuminating thing, really, for Luke's character. So I think we'll talk a lot about it when we have our Luke episode. Because, like you said, it's all about the perspective and how Luke is essentially using this account to, like, mask his own guilt. Because, yeah, he's telling a version which basically absolves him to an extent, which is interesting. It's not like Luke is saying he was blameless. Luke is saying he failed. But, like, as you say, he can't admit the way in which he failed or the extent to which he failed. Mm. What do you think he means when he says Han was Han about it? Because there's been lots of headcanons over the past Mm. two years about, like, whether Han would have missed his son or like whether he wanted him to go to Luke because he was concerned about him having too much Vader in him. Mm. I, it, the way it's contrasted with Leia trusting him, mm. I feel like Han was not happy about Kylo being trained. Yeah. He wanted him to stay with him, maybe. Yeah. It's a really ambiguous line. So I think you could read it like as anything between like Han was just kind of like oh I don't understand all this false bullshit like if it's best I guess yeah just Mm -hmm. take him and do it like it could be that or it could be like Han was Han in the sense that he didn't understand the force and all like the complexity and the challenges of it and he's like oh you're not taking my boy what the hell are you doing (laughs) 
Like, I'd definitely prefer to think it was the second version because I don't like to think of Han being like indifferent. I think he would care. Do you think it's it's probably more like that because if Han doesn't have the Force, mm. he probably would defer to Leia on those matters, right? He would just assume that she knew more about it and could sense things in Ben that he couldn't. Yeah. Um, which is really sad because it's it, the implication here is almost if they had listened more to Han, it wouldn't have happened in the same way. Because mm. even though he didn't have the Force, like he was still his son. Yeah, exactly. I think if I recall in the adult novelization to The Force Awakens, it implies, or maybe even outright states, so I'll need to read it again, that Han... Didn't know about Snoke. Yeah, that Han didn't know about Snoke. Yeah, that Leia Leia. deliberately hid that from him because she wasn't sure how Han would respond to that information. And I think that was the potential to be a really interesting story set around this time because if that is true, then I really do think Han probably would have responded differently if he had known about Snoke's influence. He's probably gone off and taken a shotgun and (laughs) shot Snoke's head off if he could. Skywalker family make me so angry. It's like, why don't you all just talk to each other? Yeah, sit down in a room with Ben there too and say we're going to have a nice, constructive, healthy chat about this now. Yeah. It's like, it is like this just mountain of lies that they've all spun out, all well-intentioned, mm. but like they just conceal things from each other because they're afraid of how someone else will react. And then it is like a Greek tragedy, right? It all yeah. just coalesces into this big disaster that is their son. Yeah, it's a horrible mess of a situation, basically. Um, Yeah, I think there's some really interesting seeds of things in here as well. Like, especially he had vanished with a handful of my students. So, like, obviously it's not outright stated, but personally I think that's a very, very clear indication that the Knights of Ren are probably, like, former students of Luke's and that they went with Ben. And that is so, so interesting to me. I feel like that's a good explanation, but I'm wary of accepting it as, like, the explanation, because I feel like it's open-ended enough that if JJ wanted to do something else, he could. Yeah. Like, I know that he's keen on, like, he's mentioned before about, like, wanting more from the Knights of Ren, so maybe he will go that direction, but I don't know. There's all this stuff about, like, well, are the Knights of Ren more sensitive because they have all these different kinds of weapons and the visual dictionary and everything? Yeah, that's true. Like... It, it, like it, like you say, it is ambiguous and JJ could make anything of it that he wanted. But like I think if that is the story, the story is that Ben was betrayed by Luke or considered himself betrayed by Luke in any event. And then like he went to the other students and presumably told them, look, Skywalker just tried to kill me purely because he sent some darkness. We all have some darkness. What will he do to the rest of you? if he senses darkness in you too. It doesn't look good. This isn't safe. This is an evil, evil order. And so trying to convince them to come along with him on those terms. And then some went with him and some defied them and stood up for Luke. And then the battle happened and people died. And then the newly so named Kylo Ren went off with the other students. And yeah, I'd love to read a story about that. And I'm sure it will come eventually, but it's so interesting. And to be honest, that's a story regardless of whether those other students who vanished are the Knights of Ren or not because they had to have gone with Ben Solo for some reason like I doubt he kidnapped them (laughs) they were presumably willing to go with him and it doesn't sound like it was a premeditated thing it sounds like it was more of a spontaneous thing and 
always so interesting. I'd be interested to find out if the Vader reveal played into that at all. Like whether mm. some of them wouldn't go with him because they were like, no, we now know that you're Vader's grandson. And then yeah. Luke seeing that you've got dark in you, you're going to be the next Vader or something like that, you know? Yeah. There's so many interesting possibilities. Do you think that's a reasonable explanation for why some of them would have went with him? Because, well, if Luke was about to kill me for having darkness, what about the rest of you? You know, who doesn't have darkness? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Like, it's Luke fucking up and then these people who trusted him thinking, well, if he's going to do that to his own blood, then Mm. why wouldn't he hesitate with me? Yeah. And it's also Um. interesting when you think about Rey because obviously Luke sees in Rey what he once saw in Ben Solo. And so again, he sees that darkness and it's like, how's he going to respond to that? Oh, it's so interesting. Yeah, it's funny because obviously Luke would never try to kill Rey, but it's always <laughs> there as like a, I think that's, that might be one of the things that like provokes Rey to get so angry with Luke, that it's like, well, I have that exact same power in me, so yeah. you're going to try and murder me too? <laughs> exactly, it's like a justifiable rage. I feel so bad for Luke because it's really is like, literally a second he wasn't actually going to kill him yeah so it's horrible because you can see it from all these different perspectives and you're just like oh god i wish you would all just like (laughs) actually tell each other how you feel like even the ending is because far as it is it's like luke you have to spell it out because you know yeah just be direct be clear years of resentment have built up here he wants to murder you because of he, what he thinks you did to him, so... Boy, his issues. <laughs> God, it's infuriating. Right, then we get the third Force Bond scene. And this is the one where um, Ray's like, I'd rather not do this now. And Kylo's like, yeah, me too. <laughs> but then he's there and he's shirtless. Yeah, me too, but also I'm not going to try and cover myself up. I might be enjoying this, but I'm not going to admit it. <laughs> it's so interesting to me because, again, like, two years of had cannons built up and true fandom and everything. But, like, from The Force Awakens, how covered up and how masked Kylo Ren is. You don't see, a you know, an inch of flesh, wears the gloves all the time and everything. Kind of got this idea that he was, like, maybe modesty isn't the right word, but because he was, like, modelled on that whole Knights of Templar thing mm. and, like, shunning, like, direct contact with other people the rest of the world like what we were talking about earlier like the natural world Mm. it's just it's very interesting for her to see him in his like personal chambers and yeah he's in a state of undress because yeah well that's that's normal for him to be like that alone but Mm. them both being confronted with that situation is like it's so different from what we got from them in the force awakens yeah i think it also says a lot about how he feels about her because he must feel so incredibly relaxed in her presence. Like, can you imagine how he would be if he was shirtless and Hux entered the room? Sorry, that sounds like the start to a Kylex fanfiction. I've, I've seen it on, like, Tumblr when people reblog the gift sets. It's like, hey, he was waiting around for his boyfriend and then Ray really interrupted him. So, <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> it's like, no, I think this is about Ray and Kylo, actually, but go off. <laughs> you do you. Yeah. Because, yeah, like you say, in The Force Awakens, they make this big point of him not showing an inch of flesh, of him being completely covered up and completely emotionally closed down. Whereas in The Last Jedi, it's all about him like showing himself and being open and actually allowing himself to relax and be natural with another person. 
which we never really see in The Force Awakens. Because even when he's with Rey in The Force Awakens, it's not like he's relaxed or natural with her. He's kind of putting on a show, like especially tailored yeah. for Rey show, but he's very much like hiding behind a facade. And yeah, you don't have that here in the same way. Yeah, because like with the um, stuff that we got from the Star Wars show this week, they gave us the official footage at the moment. So obviously it was in better quality than what we've seen so far. And you can see the bowcaster wound. Mm. Um, so it's often like for the audience that they can see that as well, right? You can see the damage that the Force Awakens events had on his body physically. We're also seeing it mentally too. Mm. And Ray's confronted with it as well. Like that scar isn't just on his face. It goes all the way down his chest as well. Yeah. No, it's really like illustrative, like you say, of the wounds that he carries with him. Like it's just so so interesting the way he does have this like unique attitude towards Ray and that he behaves with her in a way that he doesn't with anyone else. Yeah, I mean he's still kind of bullshitting because he still deflects the question about Han. Oh, it's yeah. funny because he like prompts her to like, okay, spit it out, say it, say it. But then when she does, he's like, <laughs> well, let's talk about your parents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he he is really evasive. I think he doesn't like to talk about himself. It's all for him about getting answers and learning about the situation. And he is almost like he wants to learn about anything other than his own self in these scenes. Mm-hmm. Probably because that's too painful. But I do think that it's quite a revealing conversation about Kylo and his own feelings about his father and his own position. I, I think it's probably worth just briefly saying what kind of says so like ray says you had a father who loved you who gave a damn about you and kind of says i didn't hate him and yeah like you say kind of presses ray to like actually spell out why did you kill him which he does and then when like kylo actually points out that ray's parents threw her out like garbage ray protests that he didn't and then kind of says they did, but you can't stop needing them. It's your greatest weakness. Looking for them everywhere, in Han Solo, now in Skywalker. And again, I think Kylo is doing this classic thing that he does, where he's talking about himself at the same time that he's talking about Rey. Because like Kylo was clearly passed around from pillar to post when he was a child. He went from his parents to Luke and then to Snoke. And he's always been looking for a father figure in a way. Because we know he doesn't feel like Han Solo is the best father. We know he hates Luke and feels betrayed by Luke in this enormously visceral way. And then we know that he was desperately craving the approval of Snoke and that he was really trying hard to like meet his expectations and be the dutiful apprentice that Snoke wanted. So he's got the same weakness as Ray to an extent because he wants that guardianship he wants someone to guide him and show him that approval and love and he's just not getting it in the same way that Ray isn't I think this movie in Kylo's arc is about him trying to move past trying to get that parental validation and love mm. and instead like starting to move towards something that you could maybe consider more romantic or at least like an equal partner in terms of someone of your own generation who like can relate to you in a different way Mm. yeah it was about getting that validation from a peer instead of from this person who's higher than you 
Yeah, which is, yeah, like a kind of part of growing up in these kind of coming of age stories, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> I think that's something that Ryan and the other actors were talking about in, in Kylo's arc in the, the Last Jedi before it came out. That it is like a journey from boyhood to adolescence and we'll see how that ends up in the next movie because it's not like a journey journey in terms of, oh, you can see him making the right choices and becoming a well-actualized person. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He makes massive, massive, massive mistakes along the road. Then after that whole exchange about like needing your parents and that being a weakness, then Kylo like repeats like did tell Luke tell you what happened and she explains what Luke has told her and then Kylo obviously gives his version of what happened, which is very, very different in the sense that it paints Luke as this complete monster <laughs> who um, like basically broke into his hut when he was innocently sleeping and like stood over him like a madman with his lightsaber aloft ready to cast it down upon his neck and yeah so you see Ben in that moment is very much like an innocent victim like a helpless sleeping boy who's been attacked by his awful uncle because that is obviously how Kylo perceives that moment and how he remembers it. And I was actually reading the art of The Last Jedi today and it's really interesting because Ryan explicitly says that Kylo's version is the truthful version, that he's not hiding anything. He tells the truth, essentially, and that Luke is the only one who's concealing things. Right, it's the truth from his perspective because he doesn't have the insight into Luke's frame of mind at the time. Yeah. So it is like literally what he saw. So mm. you know, when when Ray calls him a liar, I think the audience, as well as as well as Ray, knows that it's not true. Yeah, you know, he's not lying to her, but he he doesn't even care to deny it or or like say it, like insist that he's true. It's like he's told her, and now it's kind of up to her to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. He knows that what he saw is what he saw. Yeah, like I love that Ben Solo had a calligraphy set, by the way. <laughs> say that. I know that's become like a real thing and that is all over Tumblr and stuff um, but I did actually see a really great observation from someone, I can't remember who made it, but it was that um, in like religious schools like students, they're often taught calligraphy not just like for the sake of like doing nice swirly letters and writing love letters and poems and stuff but it's about like copying sacred texts well so I've seen this already play into a few fics that like Ray starts reading the books and they're annotated with notes from a Ben Solo who was like oh, disgruntled really? with the Jedi teachings oh my god yeah. that's such like a Snape thing when um, I know, Harry really. finds his book and reads all Snape's uh, like suggestions and stuff uh-huh. <laughs> oh my god um but yeah, I really like the idea of Ben like being this like dutiful, like bookish student, like at one point in his life, and probably still carrying some of those aspects of himself with him even as he is now. Because if you think about it, he does demonstrate a lot of intellectual curiosity in terms of the questions he's asking. He asks good questions to try and drill down what's actually happening and to get to the bottom of things. So oh yeah, Ben Solo is a nerd. Yeah, yeah. He's like a, a total nerd. force nerd. He's a 30 year old virgin nerd. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> Sorry. Bless his little cotton socks. No, like, n- no movifying, and that's canon as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's canon too. <laughs> Bless him. Um, yeah. 
And then Kylo gives Rey what is essentially his mission statement. And I think it might be the most important and defining line for him in the entire film because it says so much about his mentality and also so much about where he goes wrong. So he says, let the past die. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. And, oh, this annoys me so much. I see so much discourse about this line. And I think a fundamental problem in terms of how this has been discussed is that a lot of people seem to think that this is actually the mission statement of the movie as well. No! And it's like, no! You're not supposed to think that Kylo Ren is right. (laughs) I think the problem is some people see the film and they see stuff like Snoke dying, Luke dying, things from TFA being ignored, which I disagree with. But yeah, that is what a lot of people are saying. They see that and they match that to what Kylo says. And they think, oh, wow, that must be what Ryan Johnson is thinking needs to happen. But it's way more nuanced than no, that. No, it's, it's what we see Rey do, that mm. she starts to acknowledge the past and takes those lessons into the future and then embraces that. Yeah. Like, there's, exactly. a, there's a middle ground, you know? You don't have to cling to the past. You don't have to kill it. Mm. it you, you carry it with you in a way that is healthy and productive. Yeah. This is a big part. Sorry, I'm not going to go like, on a huge rant here, but this is why I relate to Kylo Ren a lot because I was stuck in this place for a long mm. time. Like yeah. I carried that resentment of my past and my family. Yeah. And you want to burn everything to the ground. Mm. But you can't. Like this is what he learns. You, that's not actually going to help you. Yeah, so I think it's really like a mission statement of the whole film you know this whole idea that you shouldn't be like destroying things mindlessly you should actually be trying to be constructive and build a positive future rather than like obsessing over the hurts or the bad things that happened in the past because that's not going to lead anywhere and that doesn't change things for the better it's like that whole scene where Finn and Rose are setting the Favias free and Finn is like it was worth it to smash up that dirty ass town and Rose is like, now it's worth it when she like takes the saddle off the Favier and sets it free. Because like Finn's point of view, like you can understand it and you can see where he's coming from, but it's a little childish and it's a bit like, I'm just gonna smash up your toys because I don't like you and that's not the way to actually achieve things or change things. And yeah, Kylo needs to learn that in a big way because he is so destructive and it backfires on him so spectacularly. It's brilliant. Yeah, I do think that's kind of like this naivety from Finn, which makes sense based on his background, but that he has Rose there to um, like show him that there has to be more than that. And it's kind of what she says at the end as well. Like, it's not about destroying what you hate, it's saving what you love. Mm. Um, because, yeah, like, sure, destroying Kanto Bite might be satisfying in the short term, but it doesn't actually bring them any closer to their goals. Like, when he says it was worth it, I'm like, um, aren't you guys on a clock and you have to get back to saving the resistance? Isn't that supposed to be more important? Yeah. You know, you're not there to just trash these rich people's lives and the casino. Like, that's <laughs> superficial stuff that doesn't really change the grand scheme of things. So it's like, ultimately, what is destroying Luke Skywalker going to do for Kylo at the end of the movie, other than giving him like a hi got rid of him yay right is that okay and then what yeah yeah it's the actual thing he should be doing from a practical military point of view see he should just be progressing to break into that area where the resistance are and destroying them which was the whole goal of going there but no he's distracted and he's passionate and he's filled with like this reckless foolish anger and yeah it backfires on him but we can talk about that later Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think for all this talk that Kylo has about letting the past die, it's like, what do you actually envision as your future? Because mm. again, like, you know, what we said before, like, does he have any clear goals? Because it seems like until he offers his hand to Ray, mm. there's, okay, well, what is there supposed to be? You just were thinking of a life of servitude, like, behind Snoke, but what else are you envisioning? And presumably we'll get to see what that is in night, but I don't have super high hopes for competent, orderly, <laughs> sophisticated supreme leader. I would love to be surprised because I think that would be very interesting. Yes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Then the next part where Kylo is kind of involved, although you don't realise it when you're watching it for the first time, which is another reason that justifies repeat viewings, is that when Rey goes into the mirror cave and has her whole like vision of her many selves and the people who may be her parents, um, she is narrating the whole experience. And at first you don't realise who she's talking to. But then, at the very end of it, you realise she's actually talking to Kylo Ren. And that is fascinating, precisely because the nature of Ray's voiceover indicates that she's confiding really like private, emotional things in this moment. And the fact that she's confiding those things in Kylo, that's really profound, because... Yeah, like this is the person that at the start of the film she's called a murderous snake and like refusing to have any kind of constructive dialogue with. But at this point they've come so far in their interactions that they're actually willing to talk about their feelings and be super personal like this. And yeah, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cave stuff is super interesting because it is Ray like delving into her subconscious and yet Kylo's there the whole time, basically. Like, the the, the narration is what implies that, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think we might have mentioned it last week. The art book suggests that originally the art for, like, them, her looking into the cave was supposed to be half her face and half Kylo's. Mm. So it really is, like, that's that's important to his journey as it is to her. Yeah. It's interesting because it is, like... You're talking about this stuff as if it's like, well, Ray's journey, but it's so hard to separate them. Like you, mm. you almost can't, and I think that's kind of what Ryan's been saying before when he's talked about them as dual protagonists mm. and the whole intertwined destinies and stuff. So, do you think that the Force Bond it never actually deactivated after the shirtless scene? That he was actually connected to her throughout that whole experience that she was in the cave, or do you think she had that experience alone? Oh, and I think the connection she had it alone. reignited. Yeah, I think it's just like the cinematic technique of her like talking about the experience, but it's at a later point. Yeah. So it's like he was there in terms of he experiences that with her through her recounting it to him. Right, okay. And then the next scene, it's just so beautiful, like the scene of them connecting. And I don't want to repeat old ground too much. Um, So to talk about it from the way that Kylo's experiencing it, it's really interesting to me how like his first response upon hearing how alone Ray is is to say you're not alone like his first instinct at that moment is to like offer her himself in a way because it's like you're not alone because you have me that's the unspoken part mm-hmm. and yeah there's something so beautiful and giving about that in that moment because it really is just these two lonely lonely people and they're offering themselves to each other that sounds so bad (laughs) but you know what I mean they're offering each other like the 
thing they're missing because they're both so painfully lonely and they can compensate for that in the other person and yeah it's just I love the scene because it's not like you you don't watch it and think strings are attached to this you know you Mm. don't think that Kylo is saying you're not alone because you're going to join me in the first order and we're going to rule together (laughs) haha like it really does just seem to be on this complete flat personal level because it's such an intimate moment and it's filmed in such an intimate way and yeah that makes it much more beautiful again it's like about the sincerity of the feelings between the characters you don't sense like manipulation or like deceit in anything that's been said here it's all completely heartfelt and that makes it very moving oh yeah because they say all of that stuff before they have the visions so it's not like they're saying it to try and get the other person onto their side Mm, exactly in a way the visions are kind of what screw things up because they do kind of lead to this idea of like destiny in both of them and then that sets Mm. them both down this very like rigid path and then when that path isn't followed by the other person in their view then like it all falls apart but yeah in this moment when it's just about them and it's not about the greater weight of the galaxy hanging on their shoulders then it's completely pure and beautiful yeah generally visions in star wars that are yeah a signpost for disaster <laughs> yeah it's also worth pointing out how in this scene where their hands touch um you see kylo gradually move his face closer and as he moves his face closer the lighting changes in his surroundings so it changes from mm-hmm. that very cold like depersonalized like bluey color to like this warmth of the fire where ray is yeah he basically starts to physically manifest there Mm. Which is interesting given what we know about the whole Luke thing. Mm. Because, like, well, if he had, like, full-on transferred himself there, would he have died? Yeah. Like, what, what happens? Yeah. Can they control that? It's not clear. It's all yeah. very mystical. It's interesting. I, I really do get this whole, like, will of the force thing going on, to be honest. That I don't think it would kill him because it's not so much, like, conscious effort on Kylo's part, it's more like this is natural, this is inevitable, that you are going to be together, that you're going to be united. And I think the Force wants to help them along. Like, it's not like an unnatural use of the Force in the way that projecting yourself across the galaxy um, to play mind games with your nephew is an unnatural use (laughs) of the Force. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the way the Force facilitates in their interactions, because you do have it like the end of The Force Awakens, they're separated... Again, with this, it like brings them together, but then they're separated again because they're not doing it right. Mm. Um, yeah, it's cool to think about it as like this almost, uh, what would I call it, like a sentient thing. I guess it is, right? Mm. But it's like connecting things together. Then Luke comes in and ruins everything. Yeah, the stuff with Luke is so funny here because it's like, leave this island. Oh, no, wait, you're going to go to him? No. <laughs> Don't do that. It's like, all right, so what do you want her to do? Go back to Jakku? Yeah, exactly. She's not going to leave on your terms, Luke. She's like a strong, independent woman. She's going to go after her man. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, it's also important to mention the whole removing the glove scene. So in the scene where Rey and Kylo touch hands, like when Rey starts extending her hand to Kylo... She's very, very tentative about it. Kylo is like so eager. He almost like rips his glove off his hand. <laughs> and then he like also tentatively starts extending his bare hand towards her. 
I do think that's really important because I think, again, that feeds into this whole idea that this moment is sincere, it's pure, it's beautiful. And it also serves as a contrast with the moment later on when Kylo offers his hand again because then her hand is gloved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a visual shorthand for the like different natures of those offers. Mm. Yeah, because he really isn't offering anything beside that physical connection at that point right or Mm. metaphysical connection whatever yeah Um, but yeah later on it's very much like oh no you're going to join me and these are my terms and everything and it's it's very still it's very earnest and I think it does come from an emotional place Mm. but it's it's him acting like a fool basically yeah well I think when he offers her his hand in the heart he's just offering himself that's all he's offering yeah so that's why and then like in the scene on the supremacy later he's offering her the galaxy <laughs> which she doesn't want like yeah. she never wanted that yeah. like it's probably hard for him to understand but not everyone craves power yeah exactly and he's so confused and it's like but i thought bitches loved galaxies <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> what more can i offer than the galaxy it's like actually no she just wanted you yeah idiot <laughs> god oh dear <sighs> gets annoying now <laughs> it is annoying like I love the Skywalkers but they also make me so angry yeah like, come on you guys come so but close. we have to have a story so <laughs> exactly right then the next time we see Kylo is when <laughs> like Ray mails herself to him <laughs> like, mm-hmm. how else do we describe that um, yeah and he's obviously waiting by her coffin you think he knew that she was coming? Like, I feel like she he has to have known because he's, like, standing right there and the supremacy is this huge structure, so he had to have known to be able to get there as she's arriving. Yeah. I, I think it must have absolutely been arranged between them, to be honest. So I think right. there must have been some kind of, like, force bond connection that we're not seeing where they're kind of yeah. doing the logistics of the situation. I've seen, people, I've seen some people complain that, like, their dynamic evolves too quickly because we only get, like, the four scenes between them. Mm. But I think the unspoken implication is that you actually, they are probably going to have more connections. You just don't see them because they can only spend a certain amount of time on plot A. Yeah, exactly. Like, and we kind of just have, you kind of just have to like make mental leaps. Sometimes you need to like fill in some logic gaps because yeah, the film can't like step you through every single thing. Otherwise it would show like Ray taking, like going into the tree, fetching the books Taking the books up the ramp of the Millennium Falcon, putting the books in the, in the um, storage. Unit. <laughs> I just mean for their dynamic specifically. People are like, wait, wait, how? Because like the last horse connection, she seems really angry with him, and then this time they're like holding hands, and it's like, it's just. I think there's this unspoken thing that they might be in much more frequent communication than we are shown. Yeah, for that intimacy to foster. Yeah, I think from a logical point of view, there has to have been a communication where they were arranging things. But to be honest, who wants to? Well, I know I would want it because I want all the moments of Ray and Kylo together that I can get. Because of course I do. But I don't think the standard viewer would want a force bond scene. It's like, right, okay, if you arrive um about like fifteen forty two, we'll make sure that the <laughs> tractor beam is on. And like I'll be waiting for you, so don't worry, hon. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you soon, babe. Love you. Yeah, it doesn't really serve a narrative purpose. So. Yeah, exactly. Like all we need to know is that she sends herself to him, and he is there. And 
then of course um he does look very like handsome and like oh monday my prince will come i have no idea what i'm doing and <laughs> but yeah then it's like a moment that goes sour because he steps aside and you see the stormtroopers are with him you ask here in the notes kirsty what was kylo's state of mind when ray arrives and i think that's such a good question so i think it is played in such an enigmatic way mm. So, yeah, what do you think about it? Where do you think his mind was when she turned up? Um, well, I think it's that he thinks everything's going according to his vision. Yeah, same. Like that he he knows who her parents are. So it's like, okay, she's here. This means that she's going to turn when I like I tell her everything. Yeah. Um, even though she he also knows that she already knows. So yeah. it's pretty confusing and ambiguous. But I think it's designed so that you can read in whatever you want to. Mm. because like if I was looking at it from a skeptic's point of view in terms of like someone who sees the film very different from me and like thinks of Kylo just as a pure monster he looks quite cold and stormtroopers are behind him and they have the cuffs and everything and he's just ready waiting there Mm. to capture her so it's almost like he tricked her into getting there or something you know yeah I kind of saw this almost makes you think like fatalism I think that at that point he's like you say I think he thinks that everything's going to plan like in the sense that he has a plan so I don't think he has like a plan in the sense of like this is step one this is step two this is step three and this is the end goal I don't think he has that so as we've previously established he's very much a creature who lives in the moment and I don't think he's like a strategic mastermind by any means mm-hmm. but I think he has this more like romantic like high-flying concept of like destiny and things that are meant to be and he thinks that ray is meant to be with him so the fact that she's turned up like this that means that yes thank god like everything is going as it should and ray ray is joining me this is all going to plan it's like i don't even think in that moment that he's thinking oh i'm gonna kill my master and then we're going to take over oh, all no together. i don't think so either so i think like he might have at that point thought that Snoke would just welcome Ray as like a fellow apprentice and then they could both train together under Snoke and that everything <laughs> would be happy like one big happy evil family um, seriously I do think that might be the case then... yeah same because he's an idiot <laughs> sorry maybe people wouldn't, wouldn't think from my comments that I like Kylo I like him a lot <laughs> but <laughs> he's an idiot I'd love to do like a count of how many times we describe Kylo as like an idiot or a moron or a fool. (laughs) (laughs) Poor baby. I mean, I also think that his father and his grandfather are idiots in their own way too, so. Yeah, it's not like we're being exclusive with our, like, abuse, essentially. Um, Yeah, so then we've managed to talk about that 10 second scene for quite a long time, The next substantial scene with Kylo is the elevator scene where Ray and Kylo get pretty intimate. I think what most frustrates me about this scene is that it's intimate, as you say, and they're like looking deeply into each other's eyes and moving towards each other, but mm. they're not really communicating. They're not yeah. actually listening to each other at all, and this is the problem. Yeah. Um, they're both like, well, I saw this, and I saw this, and because of that, I know what's going to happen. It's like, oh my god, if you two actually listen to each other you would realize that this is going to go disastrously yeah <laughs> exactly there's almost it's almost like they're so busy getting lost in each other's eyes that they're not processing the words the other person is saying yeah it's this arrogance they both have or this just like 
blind confidence that because they've decided they care about that person that that person's going to care enough to turn for their sake Mm. like never really thinking about what their principles are yeah like it's it it really is like this adolescent infatuation almost that's not really thinking about things beyond them because we've seen that through the forced connections it's designed to have this intimacy that is deliberately disconnecting them from the political situation so it's very mm. much about them versus them yeah like, trying to find a common ground and it's like okay but are you forgetting about everything else that's going on around you that you guys are supposed to be enemies mm. like and that you both have allies that are just not going to be like oh okay let's all work together now <laughs> like this is it's very naive yeah exactly and oh my god i like, just looking at what they say to each other <laughs> just like oh babies (laughs) just listen i know just listen to each other you are both so stubborn Mm. (laughs) oh i know you're gonna be the one to turn (laughs) well they just said the same thing yeah yeah and then when kylo brings her into snoke he it's so interesting to watch him throughout the whole scene because so much of Kylo's progression throughout the whole throne room scene is non-verbal because he doesn't really speak to be honest like is all Snoke speaking at him and then most of the dialogue is between Ray and Snoke and like Snoke is actually talking about Kylo rather than addressing Kylo so it's like well done my good and faithful apprentice my faith in you was restored <laughs> and after the first scene that we get with Snoke and Kylo, that must be a really great feeling for him. That must be like, yes. <laughs> Everything's going so great. Like, I have Babe with me now. I have, like, a girlfriend. This is awesome. And, like, Daddy Snoke loves me again. And he thinks I'm awesome too. So this is just, like, the greatest moment. Like, <laughs> I think that's probably how he was kind of feeling. But they obviously don't, like, express that directly in the film. It's not like they cut to Kylo and he has, like, this big cheesy grin on his face because everything's so happy for him. Wait, so do you mean that you think he's surprised when Rey starts to be tortured? Like, he thought that Snoke was going to welcome Rey? I do think so. Yeah. What? Okay, I'm saying it again. What an idiot. (laughs) If Snoke tortures you, what do you think he's going to do to Rey? She knows where Luke is. What have you all been doing for years trying to find Luke? So I, I do think that when like Snoke actually starts like touching Ray, like running his horrible, horrible claws across her face, and then actively like holding her up above Kylo in the air and like reaching to her mind, you see this look of like dawning horror on Kylo's face, as if he's like, "Holy shit!" Like, and then in those moments, he's realizing that no, Snoke is not a good thing in this situation he does not mean Ray like any like good intentions at all and yeah I think that's when cogs start turning you know I feel like this speaks to like the the way that Snoke has been manipulating and abusing Kylo for years because Mm. it is like what we see at the beginning with Hux being praised after just being attacked by Snoke when he was on the bridge for failing yeah it's like this oh good I I'm in the good books now and I'll just forget about what just happened him mistreating mm. me yeah so it's it's like he genuine oh my god it's just so sad and horrible mm. it really is 
It's like abused people, they do often go back to their abusers because they believe like inexplicably that things are going to change and they're going to be different now because oh yeah and that now I have that approval and that appreciation again like and it's almost like that living in the moment state of mind means you don't notice the patterns <laughs> that are going on he's like got this mindset of like well if I can just get through this then somehow things will work out because like he looks up when Ray starts you know she she's off in the, in the air and like Snoke starts torture and she's screaming that's like one of the moments when Kylo actually looks up and then quickly his eyes flip back to the ground because he's like, oh, wait, I shouldn't be thinking about this too much. I should just be letting Snoke do this, you know? Seriously, going through the scene from Kylo's perspective is so interesting because it's such a different scene if you're looking at it in terms of like where Kylo is to how Rey is, you know? Because I think as we expressed when we were talking about the elevator scene... At this point in the film, the characters, they both think they're working for the same thing. And they both want to think that because there's this like infatuation. But like they're really not. And that means they're on very different like journeys, like mentally and like ideologically by the time you reach the throne room. Like, and it, again, it is all just building up to this awful tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also worth talking about um, like what Snoke actually says as it pertains to... Ray and Kylo. So obviously Snoke says that famous darkness rises and light to meet it line. Um so clearly, like as far as Snoke's concerned, like Ray has risen up as Kylo's balance, like as the light counterpart to his darkness. And like in Snoke's mind, that means that Ray needs to be killed because he wants to eliminate that compassion that softness in him which he'd previously like attacked yeah it's interesting because he says like complete your training so this is like the final thing like that to me is like okay so you think this is a bigger test for kylo than killing han mm. and that um he says to ray um you know you're gonna tell me where skywalker is and then i will kill you with the coolest stroke mm. and that turns out to be i'm gonna tell kylo to kill you yeah and it's so interesting how he says, I will kill you, because that's not what he means. He means Kylo will kill you. But it goes back to what he was saying earlier about using Hux as like this weapon. Like because Kylo is almost like depersonalized for him. It's not like Kylo's a person, Kylo's a tool that he uses to exercise his will. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's so fascinating to me that Snoke can acknowledge this. Like it's the crueler stroke because Kylo cares about you and you care about him so having him kill you would be the worst possible thing mm. and yet he doesn't put two and two together and think that maybe that's why kylo will fail mm. exactly like, it's all this arrogance and hubris that he possesses as like a master and it makes it so delicious when he gets that comeuppance years of abusing kylo he's just like unquestioning in terms of whether kylo would betray him like mm. You know, he says, I cannot be betrayed. It's like, well, yeah, you can, because you kind of set your own trap here. Yeah. So you're saying you bridge this, um, the connection between their minds, and then they started to care about each other. Like, you're mm. really to yourself. Yeah. Exactly. It's such delicious irony. There's tragic irony in this film. There's also delicious irony. The mm. fact that Snoke, like, crafted the whole situation that, like, brought him down. That is a delicious irony. <laughs> I, I just keep I keep thinking about what Kylo actually envisioned happening. <laughs> like with Snoke just being like, oh, welcome, young Ray," Because he, he does say that, right? He's like, yay, Ray!" 
what is he welcome young Ray like come closer my child it's almost like maybe Kylo genuinely does think that Snoke's being affectionate there (laughs) yeah it's really interesting and I remember from repeated viewings that when Snoke says darkness rises and light to meet it he actually puts one of his hands in the other yeah like oh isn't it a nice love story (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's like this awful parody of like the actual connection that Ray and Kylo have. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, how sweet. But no. <laughs> That's not how I want this to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like just like the massive arrogance he has to actually like I think there's real ambiguity of the nature of the connection, which we've discussed before and I'm sure we'll discuss a lot in future. But I think as we spoke about at the start when we were talking about that Star Wars show video is that Snoke is claiming that he did this, or at least given the impression that he created the link between them when he didn't really. And I think one of the best reaction shots in the whole film is the reaction shot with Kylo when Snoke like says that line about how I bridged your minds. Because in that moment, I really think that's perhaps the biggest turning point for Kylo. So I think there's that real sense of betrayal and that real sense of like invasion like into these intimate moments between him and Ray, because mm. I think they probably felt like some of the most pure and the most sacred and the most special moments he's ever had in his whole life. And Snoke is just saying that he was using both of them as tools. And like Kylo has obviously known like on a rational level that he's been manipulated and used for a long time, but I don't think it's ever really sunk in like until that moment. Until it's like, you were manipulating us like in those moments? Like, how dare you? How dare you do that? Like, mm-hmm. so I think it taints it to a, to an extent. I don't think it means that any of the interactions were not real, or that they lose their significance. But it's, I guess it's almost like, if you're having these intimate encounters with your girlfriend and then you find out there's this dirty old man watching you. Ew! <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, I know it's a bit of a perverse way to express it, but I do think that's kind of the vibe I get from him. It's you don't like, think he oh. was literally watching though, right? Mm. I, hope I think that not. would put a very different spin on the film, and I don't like to think about that. Oh. Gross. Yeah. I don't think he knows the spe- because it's almost the point that he's like underestimating the emotional investment. Yeah. Because otherwise, true. he would know that Kylo wouldn't kill Ray. Yeah. No, that is true. So yeah, I don't think he was like literally watching them, but I I guess I mean like from the character's point of view, I think that it just does feel like a bit of an intrusion, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. We had this kind of seed planted when Han confronted Kylo and said like, Snoke's using you when he gets what he wants, he'll crush you, you know the truth. Like Kylo did already know on some level, but it took Snoke doing this to Ray to, for like that, that moment to really come about Mm. it wouldn't be easy to make that separation yeah because he's all about letting the past die but he sees ray as his future so yeah exactly so that's different as far as he's concerned um yeah and snoke's like little speech um is really really like fantastic because i love how he speaks to kylo how he like addresses him this really portentous way like he says, my worthy apprentice, son of darkness, heir apparent to Lord Vader. It really builds it up. <laughs> yeah. Where there was conflict, I now sense resolve. 
where there was weakness, strength, complete your training and fulfill your destiny. Like, oh, just like, again, that delicious irony because like this whole point of all the characters having different reads of the situation and being on different pages from each other, that is no more evident than like in this precise moment. It's like you have these three people and they're all completely misunderstanding what's going on with each other. <laughs> and like, so I think Kylo's destiny now, as far as he's concerned, is all about Ray. It's like being with you, ruling with you, us being together. This is my destiny. This is my purpose. And that's what allows him to say, I know what I have to do. Like when he's looking down at Ray as he says that. And I do think Snoke must be slightly moronic because the look in Kylo's face is not the look of a man who's about to murder this girl. It's the look of a man who's in love, in my opinion. Um, He just looks so, like, tender and it's so, like, firmly fixed on her in this, like, really intense way. And I think that it really contrasts with that moment when Kylo is on the bridge of Han and he says I know what I have to do but I don't know if I have the strength to do it because here there's no question that he lacks strength because he has all the strength he needs because Rey is with him and I think that's a really beautiful thing despite all the tragic elements and the irony going on because yeah like I think at its best like the relationship can build up both of them it can give both of them strength yeah, I feel like it, it does have that potential. Mm. Um, obviously, once things have gone through, like they've fought the Praetorian Guards and everything, like it all goes to part again. Mm. But I feel like they were intentionally shown that they are stronger together. Mm. Um, and yeah, like, again, I, I feel like Adam's face, like the way he pulls these expressions, everyone is very certain of their own perception of what they are. <laughs> yes you know so everyone's like oh, this is clearly the face of someone who's about to do something terrible and this is the, clearly the face of, like it's just so interesting because i feel like he really does bring a lot of ambiguity to the performance oh yeah totally like when i talk about what i see in these moments is obviously what i see um and there are other readings yeah there's a resolve there that he's like i know what i have to do he's looking down at ray but she still looks terrified so it's like is he trying to communicate with her that yeah. it's going to be all good and he's not going to kill her? Because mm. she really, do- she is like, then, like, she thinks he's going to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, again, it go- conveys that point about how Ray is on a different page from him. Because if she fully understood him and what his intent was, then she would understand that he's reached the point where he's like, no, Snoke needs to be eliminated at this mm. point. Um, but yeah she doesn't because she is not thinking in the way that Kylo is thinking and she doesn't really understand what's going on with him um, because yeah she's not following his thought process through to its logical conclusion um, yeah like, and really you... like it's funny because again we were talking about like how there must be loads of scenes that we not literally scenes in that they shot them but there's this implication that there are more interactions than we actually get but at this point, it's like, okay, so what does Ray actually know about Snoke and Kylo and Snoke's relationship? Because they haven't directly talked about him. Mm. Does she know that he's been under his... Uh, well, she heard from Luke that, like, Snoke had already turned his heart and everything. Mm. But, 
how much insight does she have into the level of unwavering loyalty that Kylo supposedly had with Snoke for years and how big of a deal this is? Yeah, exactly. And I think she's questioning that herself in this moment. Um, and that's why she's so scared because she's like, oh God, I don't think I thought this through. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> Bless. Wait, what if my vision won't come true after all? Oh no. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then I need to read off, like, Snoke's, like, lines as he's, like, building up to his own death, because it's just fantastic. You think you can turn him? Pathetic child. I cannot be betrayed. I cannot be beaten. I see his mind. I see his every intent. Yes. I see him turning the lightsaber to strike true. And now, foolish child, he ignites it and kills his true enemy! Sorry, I got really into that. Um, But yeah, for me, I find it so interesting that Snoke is clearly in Kylo's head. And that raises so many interesting questions for to what degree has he been in Kylo's head? Yeah, how often is he checking in? Can he do it like over great distances? Mm. Yeah, it's really, really disturbing. Because... Like as you mentioned just now, like Luke mentions that Snoke had already turned his heart, like, but and I think this, like, it does create a route for JJ to, if he wishes to elaborate on it or touch upon it at all, for the story to be that Snoke was in his head from when he was very young, and that's how he turned his heart because he was there infecting his thoughts from very very early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how much they are going to go forward with. Snoke or whether it is like oh no he wasn't actually supposed to be that important because we know that his relationship with Kylo is important Mm. but I guess it depends on how much of the story continues to be told through Ray's perspective yeah I would like to see like Snoke's corruption of Ben Solo touched upon more because I do think that's still a question mark and I think it would be quite effective to do that because so many people seem to be frustrated and upset about Snoke being taken out of the story. So it's kind of like throwing them a bone, you know? Give them a flashback. <laughs> mm. I don't know. I have it in my head that maybe we just end up getting that stuff through side material. I don't know. We'll oh, see. yeah. Like, it's up to JJ. What what JJ wants, JJ gets. Um, but yeah, like, Kylo is actually being very smart in terms of how he is able to like veil his actual intent by like keeping his thoughts presumably quite neutral because Kylo presumably when he's thinking about who he's going to kill he's not thinking about a particular person he's not thinking about Ray he's just thinking about the abstract concept of an enemy yeah and Snoke in his arrogance he thinks that enemy must be Ray but obviously it's not. And yeah, like it shows cleverness and it shows that he's actually like picked something up in terms of being able to adjust his thoughts and be selective about his thoughts in a way he probably wouldn't have been able to if he lacked the resolve that he has in this moment. But yeah, Kylo ignites the saber, Snoke dies. <laughs> so we've been talking about this for ages. So that is how it ends and it's glorious. And it's so wonderful to see Snoke die. And I think that's a really powerful moment for Kylo, like because that's his abuser, really, and he's been in his head since he was a young 
Well, we don't know that. And Snoke has presumably been in his head for a long, long time, influencing him and leading him down this path and corrupting him and, like, essentially ruining him. <laughs> yeah, they're explicitly stating that he's his true enemy. Yeah. And Ray, Ray isn't. Yeah. So, exactly. yeah, it's a big deal. And he brings that, he, you know, moves his fingers and the saber comes towards Ray to catch it. And she turns around in utter amazement, and then they're just like staring at each other. Yeah, it's almost like he can't quite believe what he just did. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, well now we have to get out of here somehow. Yeah, it's like a moment of shock and awe. And yeah, just the way they combine forces in that fight against the Praetorian Guard—that's so beautiful and so lovely. And they're so effective. They're so incredibly effective, and it's because they're working for each other. And again, there's something pure about that because in that moment it's very like primal and like basic. It's just a question of survival in that moment. There's nothing bigger really going on. It's just about we need to get through this, we need to live, and then we can think about what happens next. And they're both so powerful and they're both in complete synergy because there isn't a misunderstanding there. They both need to fight these guards, they both need to defeat them, they both need to get out of that situation. And so they do it and they're super effective to quote Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think about like a lot of people I know Jason Fry who wrote the novelization has talked about Kylo's story as like the reverse of a hero's journey. Because mm. it kind of is in a way, because well, I know in the second chapter, like heroes supposedly fail because they have these challenges and everything, but really Kylo appears to have successes and killing Snoke is a big success. Mm. By the end of the movie, he's not exactly triumphant in his role as supreme leader. But mm. depending on your perspective, like it's it's interesting to think about how some people might consider some things that he does triumphs and some things failures. Yeah, because it might not be across the board like what people consider good things, and it depends if like if you consider him a villain or someone who will eventually redeem himself, or an, yeah. even like an anti-hero, um, or like an inverse hero in terms of like him being a dark Luke or whatever. I don't know. It's just. I feel like Kylo Ren is really a Rorschach test for an audience. He is. Such an interesting character. Because we obviously have our reading, but I can also understand why other people have their own readings. Yeah. Um, they work together beautifully. And like I just noticed on my last viewing, actually, like how it actually goes down towards the end. Because obviously there's lots of action happening really quickly. So I didn't even see how Kylo was disarmed. I didn't realise how he lost his lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that it actually flew a considerable distance away from him. So yeah. like, okay, now I understand why he's not actually using his own weapon in that scene. Yeah, and doesn't he go from having two weapons to none? Because he has one of the guard's weapons as well, right? Yeah, he does. So there's always like shifting stakes and... It makes it very exciting to watch. Yeah, I love the moment where they're both screwed. Yes. <laughs> you know, like they're both in these chokeholds almost and then she has to get herself out of it and then save him. Yeah, and I love that even though they're both screwed, they're still looking at each other. So they're not thinking about their own situation, they're thinking about the other person. Yeah, well I think it's also like this, oh, I could really do with you getting out of your situation so you could help me out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it is with... a practical thing. To oh, no, but I mean, like, they're both looking at each other for help. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah. Um, and, like, for a second, you feel like neither of them is going to be able to get out of it until Ray does that really cool move. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the expression on his face when he looks at Ray after taking out the last guard is kind of like the expression 
like of a man who's thinking this is the girl I want to marry yeah it's like this oh my god look at what we just did this is what was supposed to happen like at this point he's thinking the vision is going right you know yeah that he's like okay I'm on track now all I have to do is tell her her parents are nothing and she's nothing (laughs) and then all will be good she'll be with me and she'll fall into my arms and then he makes the mistake of looking away and I feel like that yeah he looks at the phone and that's when everything starts to go wrong right because he's looking towards the power instead of her yeah exactly I find that like a powerful moment it's and again it's yet another one of this movie's endless and ambiguous moments because I think it's both like a symbol of how he's looking at the corpse of this monster who manipulated him and used him as his like weapon like for so many years and thinking oh my god I'm finally free of that I'm finally my own agent I'm finally able to do what I want and I'm able to exercise my own will and yeah you're also right because I think it's also a scene where he's looking at that throne thinking right this is my place now this is now my responsibility and yeah is that like layering of the feelings and the layering of the experience of the moment that's really fascinating yeah because I feel like it's left purposely vague in terms of what he actually wants to build with Ray because it's all about let's let the past die but he doesn't actually say let the first order die Mm, and he says oh like we can build a new order but it's like well you're obviously going to be using the current resources that you have and you're not going to like let all the stormtroopers go free and like just get new ships and let's destroy all these ones because that would be the ethical way to do it but he kind of just wants to take over the first order basically right yeah it's not going to be like a hippie commune is the vibe i get from this yeah so he's not he's not shaking off the past like he thinks he is and I think that's yeah. what Ray responds to. She's like, oh, you're just going to become the beast that we just slayed. Mm, exactly. I, I do think that like Kylo genuinely believes that he will use the First Order to create a lovely, wonderful galaxy mm. where he and Ray will rule it and they'll be great rulers because of course they will because they're them and they're the most important people in the world. And yeah, so I think he has very like idealistic utopian ideas about what they're going to do together. I don't think it's like we're going to have a rule of savagery and oppress everyone. <laughs> like, but yeah, it's not pure because he clearly wants to use the existing infrastructure and he just wants to take up the throne that's just been left unoccupied. And he can't see that, as you said, that's just repeat, repeating the mistakes of the past. Like, he's just too blind to see that. And yeah, mm-hmm. the tragedy is really kicking in here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's so interesting to me to see how like immediately his demeanor changes as soon as like Ray is like, please don't go this way. Yeah, he starts being quite cruel, really. And I don't yeah. think like, oh, I know there's like all this discussion going on about how much of a dickhead he is. Because <laughs> he, yeah. he is to some degree, like he's, mm. he's using the information that he has because he knows it's a vulnerable point for her. And yeah. thinks that it will be, like, a, a way for her to turn. Mm. Like, okay, you come from nothing, but you can be with me because I still care about you. And it's like, okay, that that's not great, Kylo. Yeah, exactly. She does have people who care about her. Yeah. And it's very selfish of him as well to behave in that way and say those things. And, 
Like, I think he actually, I'd almost say he becomes agitated when he's like, no, no, you're still holding on, let go. Like, he becomes, like, really, like, desperate, I think, in that moment. Yeah. Because, like, he, he obviously sees that she's not going to go with him, not willingly. And I think that's where it all starts collapsing for him. Yeah, he makes the offer before he starts talking about her parents. I think he really hopes that she's just going to say yes anyway, and then he plays that card. Yeah, exactly. It's like a last resort, like a moment of desperation, kind of. And then after that, he says, please. (laughs) Like, he really is begging. Yeah, exactly. Like, the only extra thing he could have done is literally go onto, like, his hands and knees and grovel. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, like, it's, it's so like horrible (laughs) like just all round really and like I think Adam Driver in an interview he described like Kylo's having like this elitist attitude because he is kind of like a prince from his mother and in a way almost from his grandmother and I do think that comes through his attitudes to class I must say it's very like Jane Austen and yeah for sure yeah it's this whole idea of well, you you have no place in this story because, yeah, you, you're like a peasant, basically. But I'm this prince, and because I care about you, because like I love you and I want to give you a place, you are important and you don't need to worry about them. We can like raise that whole history to the ground because that's irrelevant because I care about you. Mm. And th- I think there's love and genuine affection in that, but it's all wrong yeah it's not it's not like a healthy love at this point yeah it's pretty possessive because he's saying that her importance hinges on how he feels about her and it actually doesn't and i think that's what Ray discovers yeah you have this character and he's been lonely for so long and i think his close relationships they've always felt like they're like string that there are strings attached to them Exactly. Like this coming from his perspective, he's been told that he's special on the condition of who his birth line is. Like yeah. what he came from. No one says that he's good enough in and of himself. Yeah. So exactly. it kind of makes sense the way he would talk to Ray here. Like, yeah, it's not very nice of him, but that's what he knows. Like that's, that's how people have treated him. Like, oh, you're you're important because I've deemed you important for this reason. That is actually nothing to do with your character. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like you can see him sliding back into this regressive mindset because earlier on, like when it is like just them, just communicating, like without those external pressures, that's irrelevant. Like when they say you're not alone, neither are you. That's nothing to do with like like the Skywalker bloodline or like lineage or any of that bullshit. It's just two people like in a room connecting like over their like shared loneliness and the things they have in common. And by this point, that's like all slipping away because like Kylo is trying to like justify himself and like justify why Ray should be with him. But because his perceptions of things are so warped by everything he's ever been told and his own like experiences and his own like biases and his own arrogance, that means that he's not able to think in those simple terms anymore. He has to think in terms of lineage and in terms of like birth and parentage. And yeah, that's where it all goes wrong. Yeah. 
when he's saying you're still holding on, let go, it's like, no, dude. <laughs> yeah. You. Talking about yourself. Mm. Again. So many times. special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, of course, as you'd expect, because she's the hero, Ray recognises that Kylo's plea is coming from the wrong place, to put it mildly, and she rejects him. And there's something so heartbreaking in a way about that mo- just that brief brief moment where you cut back to them and you see Ray starting to extend her hand and you cut to Kylo's face and he's got this look of like hope and wonder and like oh god it's happening it's happening <laughs> she thinks she's gonna take his hand but of course <laughs> instead she like quickly whips out her hand to try and seize the saber oh, back from her Ray you sneaky bitch <laughs> yeah exactly and then it just becomes like the most epic breakup scene <laughs> Um, and they both look so primal and animalistic so clearly channeling everything into like this battle of wills between them because yeah it's all so intense and operatic and of course it has to like reach its climax in a very operatic way and it does with the lightsaber splitting between the two of them and then being blown apart and then I think you mentioned that we have a quote um, regarding the moment where the lightsaber splits into yeah um so ryan told ign because people were asking basically after the movie that like how did kylo not realize that luke was a projection because he had the anakin saber that had just been torn apart with him and ray Mm. Uh, ryan says that kylo didn't actually see it he says we as an audience saw that the truth is we see the, the saber split in half Kylo sees the blinding flash of light and is knocked unconscious, and then Ray takes the lightsaber away before he wakes up. So if you really mm. want to dig into it and get an explanation, you can say that he doesn't 100% know what happened to the saber. Yeah. So that's what Kylo's going through at this point, when they're, like, warring for it, and it seems like the Force is equally strong with both of them, and it splits apart, but we don't see that. He's just, like, knocked out, basically. Yeah. And then wakes up and she's gone. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, from his perspective, he's offered her everything and she betrays him and then she's gone. Yeah. I think the first time I saw the movie, I was taken aback by how sudden that transition from presumably offering Ray the galaxy to, like, ah, we're going to go down to Crate and kill them all. I was really, like, taken aback by that. I almost had, like, whiplash. I mean, he's like, if you're not with me, you're against me, right? Oh, yeah. No, like, in, but that's the thing with subsequent viewings. It gradually settled for me because I saw it as just this intense emotional response to what he must consider like this horrible rejection. And of course, he has this warped perspective. But as far as he's concerned, like he was <laughs> pinning all his hopes on Ray. He almost did everything that he did for her. Like, she was his reason, like, to an extent. I know that sounds really soppy, but I do think it's true. And, yeah, she's gone. So it's like, what does he have left? I think all he has left at this point is just his rage, his anger, his resentment, and his sense of betrayal over how he was treated in the past. And, yeah, that's why he becomes this, like, force, like, driven by, like, this desire for revenge and retribution. And yeah, he's in full let the past die mode at this moment, basically. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to think about like his mindset that if he sees Luke with that saber, he thinks that Ray gave it back to him. 
but Ray supposedly knows what Luke did to him. Mm. Like that all feeds into his feelings of betrayal. And it's only once he realizes that Luke was a projection that Ray did none of that. Yeah. And at that point he's too late. Like he's humil- humiliated himself. She's mm. seen him descend into that rage again and is mm. shutting the door and it's like too late. Exactly. And it's really heartbreaking. I think it's worth mentioning how um, the very fact that Kylo just wakes up to find Ray gone that tells us something important and that's that Ray did not kill him or she did not drag him with her onto the shuttle and like haul his ass back to his mum so it's interesting because it's not like the scene at the end of The Force Awakens where they're separated by a literal crack in the in the earth keeping them apart there was nothing keeping Ray from like igniting the lightsaber through Kylo's heart in that moment, in the aftermath of that battle of wills, if she'd wanted to, but she didn't. And I don't know if that will ever be touched upon, because again, it's the kind of thing that Star Wars is good at, just like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, plot convenience. Yeah, plot convenience. (laughs) But, like, if you think about it in terms of character motives, then that does indicate that she, like, at the very least, can't bring herself to do it. Definitely not in that moment. Yeah. I think there's a potential in the future for her to like try and steal herself to think that she could do it, mm. but I don't think she could. Like, mm. that's just not going to happen now. Be a bit of a blunt ending to the. <laughs> Can you at this point. I'm sure there are people out there hoping for it, but yeah. What, what would that do to Ray at this point? That would be yeah, very nihilistic. I think. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, and it's also worth pointing out, and again, this is probably just continuity error, but if they wanted it to have significance, it could have significance. But when Kylo wakes up, he has his lightsaber back at his belt. And again, that raises another question of, did Ray put his lightsaber back there to like help him along? It's like, yeah. I don't know what you're going to do, but you're probably going to need this weapon, so I'll do you this small favour. <laughs> I like to think that she did, but Again, we don't possibly know, and it's probably just going to be a forgotten continuity point. But he definitely didn't have it as he was fighting her. Yeah, I think that's the kind of thing that's like good elements for thick fodder. But I, yeah, Star Wars is just so bad at going up with these little tiny details. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like this big overarching opera, I guess. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and. Also, just to talk about the like dynamic between Hux and Kylo in this moment, it's so interesting. Since everything changes between them basically, because before they were like two boys competing for Daddy's affection and approval and praise, but now Dad's gone. So it's like you have these two young men, and it's just going to be about them. Yeah. And obviously, while Kylo's trying to assert himself as the superior force, and he does proclaim himself supreme leader. I think subsequent interactions indicate it's not going to be that simple and that they're really peers and that it's going to be about them struggling on the same level rather than there being this like hierarchical relationship as there was with Snoke. Yeah, and I think there are little seeds here that are... I mean, Kylo just like straight up lying that Rey killed Snoke and what, killed all the guards by herself and then just left Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Like, does he expect Hux to buy that? Are we supposed to think that Hux bought it? Yeah. Like, all this stuff, I think, lays the groundwork for 
oh, everything to come out. Because, like, Hux could very easily then accuse Kylo of being a traitor to the First Order and then put a bounty on his head. Yeah. Exactly. Like, Kylo is a very bad liar. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's nowhere better illustrated than this. The girl murdered Snoke. Like, <laughs> sure she did. Yeah. Like, I don't think Hux for a moment buys that, to be honest. <laughs> he just doesn't say anything. Mm. He's just kind of like, what the fuck? Um, I love the part where Kylo starts to force choke Hux. Because then his theme comes back, like, really strong, and you have those explosions going off behind him, like the sparks. Yeah. And I think I saw a lot of reviews or, like, these quick reactions on Twitter when the movie first came out that people, like, all these film critics were like, oh, there's such a big twist concerning Kylo Ren. And I'm guessing that it was the point where people realized that he wasn't going to be redeemed this movie. Because mm. people were kind of hoping for that, or at least some people were. Yeah. Um. Because it was like, oh no, okay, like he's going to be the villain for the next movie. Mm. But he's he's choking Hux. It's again, he he didn't do this to Ray. He pleaded with her to stay with him. Yeah. Now he's pissed, of course. But yeah, it's interesting to think about. Like, are we supposed to sympathize with Hux? Because I don't. <laughs> like, not in a real way. Obviously, I do. Like, oh god, poor Hux. He has to deal with Kylo's temper tantrums and everything. <laughs> Yeah, but he's not a sympathetic character, so it's like, are we supposed to feel differently? Like, I feel like it's quite a conscious choice. To really, the only character that Kylo harms at that point is Hux. Yeah, he's trying to harm other characters, but like, I I read interviews with Donal where he was saying like he really deliberately played Hux as a character that you would just despise and you would almost want to see him suffer. <laughs> Oh yeah, I remember those. That like um, that children would like root to see him hurt. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's Kylo doing that. So it's like yeah. are you rooting for Kylo. I I do think you are to an extent because he's such like a little snivelling rat faced kid <laughs> that you're just like ah, yes. Mm. That's you're so interesting. Because it's really different from the way Vader would inflict that cruelty, isn't it? Hmm. I think Vader was always very dispassionate. But I mean, like, in terms of who you would sympathise with, you never got, Mm. in the original trilogy, you were never thinking about it from Vader's perspective. It was always like, (laughs) oh, God, these poor officers. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that's even how we feel about it in The Force Awakens with Paul Mataka when he has to report to Kylo. Yeah. I think you always, like, with Vader and, like you say, about Kylo and TFA in that scene... Like, you feel empathy for the person being attacked because they're being attacked by this, like, faceless, brutal monster. And obviously, while Kylo's being brutal and very much behaving like a monster, he's still a human. Like, he's not masked. We see his face. We see his emotions. And it's it's not like we're... (laughs) I don't think you're actually... Like, you're meant to root for him. Like, so much as you're meant to like take a little bit of glee in seeing this horrible character suffer a bit and have his world fall apart so Mm -hmm. yeah because it's not like with Mitaka we don't like have reason to like loathe Mitaka or think he's like a horrible person he's just like a drone he's just doing his job (laughs) and Kylo treats him like shit so you do feel empathy with him for that reason because you're like oh yeah I could be in that position you have like a crappy boss who like goes off on one and mistreats you and goes into a rage. Whereas with Hux, you don't identify with Hux, or at least I don't think you're meant to. Right, exactly. 
So it's interesting to think about the implications there because if they are going to have like this showdown between them, mm. you're rooting for Kylo. I feel like Hux is, Hux is probably going to die at nine, right? Probably yes. I like. I was amazed he survived eight. To be honest, so I was pretty sure the right right was on the wall. I figured it was either him or Phasma. Yeah, I think the right character died. To be honest, I think there's much more narrative and character to get out of Hux than there was from Phasma. Yeah, I guess we'll talk about Phasma more when we get to an episode about Finn. But mm. I am disappointed. Let's just say. Yeah, and ah, I did. I did think that was possible after the Force Awakens, but still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's lots to say. Um, right. Then we obviously next see Kylo when he's on his shuttle over crate. <laughs> Everything in the shuttle is such a farce. It's, oh my god, it's so absurd. And it's interesting how you see this evolution of the character. Yeah, so with when we first see Kylo in the shuttle, I believe he's quite calm and he's like saying push through. Like he just wants them to like advance, he wants them to reach resistance. So he's clearly quite focused in that specific moment. But then it's fascinating because the moment the Falcon shows up, he absolutely flips out and he literally screams blow that piece of junk out of the sky and Adam says it in the most amazing way it's the most over the top line delivery which is just perfect for the character in that moment because I would say Kylo is really triggered by I was going to say I, honestly I wonder if the, tr- the, the Falcon combined with seeing Luke mm. it is all like his past coming back to haunt him and then later you get the dice as well which is even more on the nose it's like he can't escape it Mm. that is like a symbol of his father yeah exactly and again it's just really driving home this whole point of Kylo at this point it's all about destroy 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 like these things that he's seeing they all have negative or like disturbing or unsettling associations for him so yeah the Falcon that is A his father's ship it's B kind of like a symbol of the resistance and see, logically, if he's able, if he's even vaguely capable of logical thought, he probably knows Ray is on that. So there's just this whole nexus of like triggering associations bound up with this ship, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just wants to wipe it out because he's been a child and he's thinking the most low level way imaginable. And that is just like, this thing distresses me. This thing causes me emotional pain. So it needs to go. It needs to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's not about working through the trauma or reflecting on it and thinking about what could be done differently or how things could be built up yeah. again or brought back. It's just, I need to get rid of this. I need to get rid of this pain. Yeah. And it, this is another Star Wars thing, right? We, I talked about last week with like the tonal stuff, but it's all kind of played for laughs. Like, yeah. because Carlo isn't thinking rationally and because there's very much this, like, there's the, you know, the action, like, Star Wars music over the top and there's Rey and the Falcon and, like, oh, I like this and all the yeah. action going down on the surface. It's like, yeah, like you say, just as Kylo doesn't have time to reflect on how terrible this is for him, the audience doesn't even really, like, you're not really scared of Kylo at any point here. No. And I, you'd almost think that if he's, like, taken Snoke's place that you would be 
Mm. that it's just like he's still a child playing it like trying to assume that position and trying to be authoritative but he's just mm. so full of hurt that it's just like oh dude yeah Stop. he still can't become a man basically yeah because in star wars because it is just this fairy tale and it's all writ so large like being a man that's not just being a biologically mature male that's like being a king or being a jedi or being supreme leader in an effective way mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah kylo's incapable of that and yeah so basically kylo's brilliant strategy at this moment means that all the tie fighters fly away to pursue the falcon <sighs> brilliant it's funny because it's not like you want him to succeed <laughs> but still <laughs> seeing him fail is so painful I think it's just like you shake your head because yeah. it's so blatantly error riddled. It's like, no, <laughs> it's like a small child can see that this is a bad way of dealing with this. Mm. Um, yeah, and then after the Falcon is gone and all the ships have chased it away and got blown up because, yeah, brilliant military strategist, um, Kylo actually gets calmer. But presumably because the Falcon is absent. He says, General Hux, advance. No quarter, no prisoners. <laughs> so they start going forward. But then this, of course, is when Luke shows up on the scene. And it's actually worth talking about the conversation that Luke and Leia have. Because they do allude to Kylo. And yeah, that obviously is re- relevant to our interests today. So, like, we have this conversation. Luke says, Leia, I'm sorry. And then Leia says, I know, I know you are. I'm just glad you're here at the end. Luke, I came to face him, Leia, and I can't save him. Leia, I held out hope for so long, but I know my son is gone. Then Luke, no one's ever really gone. And I think that final line is so important. So I see so much emphasis placed on I can't save him. And less emphasis placed on no one's ever really gone. Because Mm. all of those lines are about Kylo. And I think they're both equally true. Because I think Luke is absolutely right to say I can't save him. Because Luke knows he effed up majorly (laughs) with Ben Solo. I think we're meant to take a little spark of hope there. Yeah, exactly. No one's ever really gone. That's like the spark of hope. Because if you think about it, of course Luke can bring him back. Like, Luke is, like, this monster for Kylo, you know? Like, no amount of, like, talking through things is going to help, I don't think, to the degree necessary for Luke to be able to help him. So I'm not saying Luke can't provide any help, but he definitely wouldn't be the person to bring him back. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I think we'll talk about it in a bit, but subsequent events, they indicate that if anyone is going to bring Ben Solo back, it's going to be Ben Solo. Because he needs to pull himself up by the bootstraps almost and get his like gear in order. But yeah, I do think it's so important that Luke says no one's ever really gone. The defining characteristic of Luke in the original trilogy is just that unwavering faith and hope in his father. And that belief in his potential for good. Mm-hmm. And I think if Luke were to believe that all hope had gone for Kylo then that is like a big betrayal of that character. And I think that no one's ever really gone line is a proof that he hasn't like given up all hope. 
Yeah, I think <clears throat> Luke is supposed to parallel Obi-Wan here, like in some way, because like he faces him and mm. says he's sorry. Yeah. But he knows that he can't be the one to bring him back because he's responsible so much in terms of how he fell in the first place. Mm. Like there's too much resentment there that's like been stoked for years by Snoke. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's also an acknowledgement of the fact that it's Ben's not family. Yeah, is that. And I think it's also the acknowledgement of the fact that no one in Ben's family can save him because so much of like Ben Solo's sense of betrayal and hurt have come from within his family. So I don't think that way back could ever really be through them. It's not the same as saying that there's no hope of reconciliation with his family at some point, but it's not like that is going to be the final push across the threshold for him because there's too much pain there. Mm-hmm. Right. So now we've got Luke and Leia's conversation out of the way. It's worth going into how Luke actually shows up. And <laughs> oh my god, it's just fascinating, really. When you think about it, it's also played for laughs to a large extent, which again makes it hard to take seriously. But it is very much what we were talking about before about Luke being the source of like trauma for Kylo. <laughs> And really triggering him in massive ways. Um, Because Kylo's first response upon seeing Luke is to say, I want every gun we have to fire on that man. And then he's literally like, more, more. (laughs) He's like so desperate and so childish that it's really pathetic to watch him, to be honest. Because he really is just like this wounded little boy, like taking these toys that he has which are incidentally very dangerous toys and using them all in this completely irresponsible and irrational way because he just has this intensely visceral emotional response to seeing Luke. Yeah, they're dangerous, but they're totally ineffective against Luke right now. So yeah, yeah, Luke's always going to have the upper hand here. Um, Do you want me to read out this quote from Ryan? Yeah, I do. So he says, Luke is basically tailoring this projection to have maximum effect on Kylo. He knows that Kylo's Achilles heel is his rage. And so that's why he kind of makes himself look younger. The way Kylo would have last seen him in the confrontation at the temple. And that's why he decided to bring Kylo's grandfather's lightsaber down there. The lightsaber that Kylo screamed at Rey, that's mine, that belongs to me. As far as Johnson's concerned, Luke believes that Anakin's lightsaber will have a much more visceral impact on the erstwhile Ben Solo than Luke's own green blade. It's actually not Rey that he screams at, it's Finn. Mm. I guess Ryan just made a mistake there. Yeah, so this is them essentially saying, yeah, Luke was triggering Kylo intentionally. Mm. Which is pretty twisted, to be honest, when you think about it. It is, but the Skywalker family are twisted. Yeah. Like, this is a family where your father meets you for the first time and he cuts your hand off. So, (laughs) yeah, it's full of perverse, weird things. Yeah. This is Luke being kind to Kylo, apparently. So... I have to make my peace with that. Cruel to be kind. I love Luke's arc in this movie, but if I think about it too much, some of these things, I'm like, wow, you probably could have done that a bit better. But that's part of the point, because the story and things have to go wrong, and characters have to make make mistakes. But it's it's very interesting to me that this is about redeeming Luke in terms of 
the wider galaxy recognizing him as a legend once more because you have that final scene with the kids like "Ooh, luke the legend saved the resistance and did, yes. didn't even have to kill anyone it's like well mm. what about with your nephew yeah exactly did you just do him more harm i think overall it will be presented as a good thing in the narrative because it does for we have to just accept yes kylo is a villain so he has to be confronted mm. with horrible things that make him feel awful yeah uh it's it's painful especially mm. when you relate to a character but it's like he has to get to a really low point so he kind of has to suffer through this stuff yeah so yeah i think it's also worth thinking about like the way that luke chooses to manifest himself in front of kylo as a kindness because he's deliberately preventing kylo from being able to hurt anyone like including himself like he doesn't want to give kylo that knowledge that yeah i killed luke skywalker i'm badass he chose to project himself in a non-corporal way so that Kylo would be denied any kind of victory and would not be allowed to add to his crimes, I think. It's almost like if someone is like in this intense state of like rage or like violent anger and like putting them in a padded room so that they can work through that in a safe way without causing any harm or any lasting damage to anyone. And yeah, I, that's just kind of my read of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is like a moment of catharsis for Kylo because he's like actually able to put his lightsaber through his uncle's chest. Mm. And I know at that point he's very angry because he's like, what? I wanted to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's ultimately good for him in the long run because as Luke says, like, hey, if you kill me, I'm also going to be with you all the time just like your father and you regret that even though you probably don't want to admit it to yourself. Yeah, exactly. You don't really want me around you all the time, do you, Kylo? There's this final look that Luke gives him before Kylo runs at him with the saber, and it's like mm. a look of love. Yeah. You know, he has a smile on his face, and he's like, I still love you. Yeah. And I think that's probably unbearable for Kylo. Yeah. He really does charge towards him in an absolute rage. And I think he's maddened, like you say, by that expression of love, and also by like the fact that Luke is just so passive and so accepting of everything because that's just the complete opposite of him and is like goading to him basically mm-hmm. um, yeah it's also worth just mentioning some of the dialogue because Kylo is talking about like his grand plans for what's going to happen now because of course he does and he <laughs> Yeah, I'll just read out the whole exchange. It's pretty short. So Luke says, I failed you, Ben. I'm sorry. Kylo, I'm sure you are. The resistance is dead. The war is over. And when I kill you, I would have killed the last Jedi. Luke, amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. The rebellion is reborn today. The war is just beginning. And I will not be the last Jedi. Kylo, I'll destroy her. And you, and all of it, Luke. No, strike me down in anger, and I'll always be with you, just like your father. See you around, kid. <laughs> so good. You know what? I still wish oh, we might get it eventually, and again, we might get it inside material, but I still wish there was more of an idea of why exactly Kylo thinks the Jedi need to end. Mm. Beyond just yeah. hating Luke. Like, maybe that's it. Maybe it is that shallow. But I feel like there's got to be a difference in philosophy somewhere. Mm. 
because we don't hear enough about why Kylo is a Darksider because he's not a Sith. So, like, mm. what code is he living by? Mm. I'd, re- I'd really like to learn more about that. And hopefully we'll learn at least a little bit more. Because I definitely feel like we have a much more solid sense of his backstory and where he's coming from after The Last Jedi than we did after The Force Awakens. So I'd like to think they'll continue to build on that. So I think yeah. it's a wasted opportunity otherwise. Yeah, because, like, okay, he leaves the Jedi because Luke kind of, you know, considers killing him and that, like, pushes him out. But according to Luke, he was already dark at that point. So was he already going to leave? Like, where's the level of self-fulfilling prophecy? And then what, he goes to Snoke because he was betrayed by his uncle. But, Mm. like, where? I don't know. It's all stuff that probably will be left left unresolved in the movies because they never went into the stuff that deep with like Vader and everything but yeah I really like this dialogue because I really do think Luke is actually trying to help Kylo when he says these things and I think he's trying to teach him because like when he says amazing every word of what you just said was wrong he says something very very similar to Rey in the first lesson he gives her because Luke maybe this is the third lesson (laughs) <laughs> maybe the mythic third lesson <laughs> maybe it was for Kylo <laughs> oh god <laughs> because I really do think Luke's style of teaching is to ascertain what the other person thinks is the case and then to correct them to say okay you think this but it's actually like this mm. you need to come to terms with that and yeah like so he's has very much like a hopeful message that contrasts with Kylo's and then in response to that, Kylo, like, just persists and obviously says, I'm going to destroy her and you and all of it. And Luke almost instantly proves him wrong because Kylo does not destroy Luke. <laughs> Luke just pieces out and does his own thing. And so Luke actually robs him of that. And yeah, I think he's left feeling completely like adrift. And like, yeah, actually, I was completely wrong. <laughs> My uncle owned me. <laughs> it's really <laughs> And he gets the Skywalker, no! <laughs> yes. And it's especially bad because the First Order like, are all watching him from like the command shuttle from the 8080s. And it's like... <laughs> yeah, I love in their confrontation how he ends up facing them. Yes. Exactly. It's really deeply humiliating, to be honest. Mm. And there's you already get these really interesting seeds of like a brewing internal conflict in the First Order. Yeah, I mean, if you saw that, why would you continue to respect him and follow his rules? Yeah, exactly. And when, even when they're in the cockpit, like you sa- can already see all these contradictions and like how the people they're trying to order around, they're not sure who to actually listen to. Because Hux actually repeats lots of Kylo's orders. And then, like, Kylo's comeback to a lot of Hux's presumptuousness is just to, like, treat him like a ragdoll and toss him across the room. Yeah. And it's all so childish and so chaotic. And you can tell that no one's sure of what to do or who to obey. And, yeah, I I think it's a really interesting groundwork for the next movie because I really do think there's likely to be some kind of, like, it's going to crumble from the inside, I think, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting to think about where the Resistance and the First Order are at at the end of this movie. Because mm-hmm. it's like they've both had a lot of damage. Yeah. Like they've both failed in a way. Yeah. 
Like, how do they rebuild, basically, which is the question Ray asks. That question applies just as much to the First Order as to the Resistance. Hmm. Yeah, so then after Kylo's humiliated defeat, he marches into the empty Resistance base. And, of course, he finds it gone because they've all escaped. And he, like, asks to be left alone. And he, like, enters into the room where Luke and Leia spoke. And he picks up the dice from the ground. And you actually see Hux, like, watching him in a very, (laughs) uh, would you say foreboding way? Yeah, he looks pissed. He looks pissed. And I'd say he also looks oddly pleased, like, in a sense of pleased for his own ends. Yeah. Because I think he sees a real opportunity in Kylo's weakness. Because he's like, yeah, I can make this work for me. Yeah, I think it is an opportunity for him because he probably would have loved to usurp Snoke himself. Mm. But like Kylo's done the dirty work now and maybe he can like use strategy to outsmart him and then mm. he's triumphant. Yeah. We know he's very ambitious and ruthless. Yeah. So I think Hux probably recognises that Kylo is in many ways going to be much easier to control or manipulate than Snoke ever was. Like Kylo was able to take out Snoke because of his like forcibility like to a large degree and also because of this really strong bond with Rey and those are really extraordinary special circumstances and I can't think of anything Hux could have ever done to even get close to Murder and Snoke mm-hmm. you know I can't think of any opening there so yeah like you say Kylo has done the dirty work in actually killing Snoke and now Kylo himself is left and he's like this fragile emotionally messy wreck of a person so, yeah, I think Hux is about to have good times ahead, basically. It's good times for Hux. <laughs> until it's not. Yeah, until it's not. I don't think it's going to be like a pure like home stretch to glory for him. It's Hux's hero journey. <laughs> Hux's he wins the bounty. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um yeah, and then you get this heartbreaking final scene with Kylo. He picks up the dice, and then do you want to describe what goes down, Kirsty? Yeah, so it's almost like when he picks up the dice, that I don't think it's like explicitly connected, but that's what almost triggers the Force connection opening up again, and like Ray's at the top of the stairs on the Falcon, helping people in, and then she turns around mm-hmm. and sees him. Yeah, um, and I I really like how the like their parting in the force awakens was like her looking back as she ran Mm. into the falcon and he was like on the floor like obviously injured and bleeding from her defeating him and then this one he's kneeling and i'm Mm. like hmm jj could play with that i think for nine and like yeah yeah have something with them going onto the falcon together for some reason or like do whatever end you know like I just think it's cool imagery, but it could just end up being nothing. Yeah. I definitely think it's deliberate on Ryan's part because I think he's like echoing that part in, in The Force Awakens. Mm. Like Because in The Force Awakens, it was always ambiguous. You know, she looks back, but it's like a tiny fleeting moment. But there is the question of, is she looking back at Kylo for some reason? Like, but it's done in such an ambiguous way that you don't know for sure. But I think that the, the last Jedi is echoing that glance back by having Ray and Kylo look at each other again for one last time mm-hmm. through the Force Bond as Ray is on the Falcon. 
And yeah, obviously Ray is understandably pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's all the Kylo Ren redemption discourse will carry on for another two years, I guess. (laughs) Yes. Um, And it makes me sad in a way because I've seen some people who were like really rooting for his redemption kind of be like, oh, well, I guess that's it now. He's going to be too dark and I've just got to make my peace with it. Sue me. I will forever root for Han and Leia's son to get his shit together. Same. Like, I'm sorry. Star Wars about hope isn't Star Wars for me, so I'm just going to continue hoping for it. Yeah. And I think the film wants you to. Like, Luke Skywalker even says no one's ever really gone. And that's a very hopeful line. So, Mm. Yeah, I don't think you bother humanising a villain like this, developing such an intimate connection with the hero, showing him really sad and defeated at the end, and then just, like, not go anywhere with it. Because, Mm. like, what is there now in an arc of him becoming more and more dark? Like, I just don't... Yeah. Don't think that that would be very interesting. So yeah, I, I think the last Jedi actually did something remarkable by really making people root for Kylo to like go with Rey, or for Rey and Kylo to be together, or like at least the very least root to see Rey and Kylo side by side again because that scene was so kick-ass and awesome. You know, the last Jedi achieved all those things, and I think people have a deeper appreciation for Kylo now. And they do feel more sympathy for him and they do understand him more. So obviously you do leave the film like thinking he's dark and thinking he's like further down that villainous path than ever. But I think at the same time, people are, in the quite general sense, I'm not talking about like hardcore necessarily, I'm just talking about people just viewing the movie once. I've seen a lot of expressions of disappointment that Kylo did become like a simplistic baddie again at the end, you know, because people really liked that growth and development he had earlier on. And then when they saw that all stripped back and they just saw him become like this chaotic child for tantrums, they were disappointed because they'd grown to actually really like and root for this character they'd seen before. Mm-hmm. And I think that creates a good foundation on which to build a redemption arc because you actually have people who care about him now. They want to see him progress beyond that childish volatile state where he's wounding himself and others you know yeah exactly i don't think you get the audience to root for it and then be like ha ha sorry we made you believe in hope and redemption and forgiveness and love <laughs> <laughs> and then we took it all away <laughs> oh my god i would say that ray's expression to me that's an expression of real like disappointment and like disapproval you know i think um i can't remember who mentioned it it might have been me but i said like the whole point is that ray is kylo's moral superior you know she has that sense of right and wrong she has that sense of how you should deal with your past in a constructive and healthy way rather than just killing everything and being like volatile and angry and rageful all the time and she has that higher ground Mm-hmm. And I think she's expressing that to Kylo when she shuts the door because she's like, no, there's this moral divide between us and like I'm not dealing with you right now. And I think Kylo feels that as well, to be honest, because when he looks at her, like he looks ashamed. I yeah, think. I think he knows what's coming. Yeah. He needs that reckoning. Yeah. He looks ashamed and I think he looks regretful. He literally bows his head. And I think it's also significant that that final shot of him in that room alone with that loneliness emphasized by how the dice disappear. So 
it seems like his family have given up hope on bringing him back. It seems like Ray shut the door on him, and even the dice from his father's ship have vanished from his hand. He seems so, so alone. And I find it very beautiful that there's still light pouring into that room, even when it should be at its darkest, you know, just in terms of visual symbolism. Mm -hmm. Because, like in TFA, there's lots of focus on the use of light and dark, particularly in the bridge scene where Kylo kills Han. And at the point where Kylo ignites the saber, it's completely dark in that room. Whereas in the scene that should be Kylo's like darkest, deepest, angstful, villainous moment, in The Last Jedi he's actually covered in light and he is clearly on some level aware that he messed up in this huge, profound way. And I really like to think that means we're going to see him change and do things differently in the next film. I have no idea what that means and I'm not willing to speculate because JJ can do whatever the hell he wants. And The Last Jedi proved that speculation and predictions are bad. Yeah, I think analysis of what you have is definitely worthwhile, like in fandom. But mm. yeah, I right now I know we're off, like it's a long way off. But right now I feel like I'm not going to be able to make any predictions for now. Yeah. But, yeah. Exactly. Like, a, yeah, I want to see Han and Leia's son like start to realize that he's being a fool yeah. and get together because I, I know that people, that the characters are separate and that they're separate characters with individual motivations and everything, but you can't really deny at this point that Kylo and Ray are connected. So yeah. I can't see Ray being happy if Kylo stays evil and then dies. Yeah. You know, I just feel like that's a fulfilling part of her journey. Like I feel like they are intertwined. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean they have to be happily ever after. Like I'm perfectly chill yeah. when AJ decides to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I I want her to have a fulfilling end as well. Yeah. So I could have had like Ray like express like glee, like ha ha, you lost, ha <laughs> you monster, like at the end. But of course they didn't, mm. and that's good because I think the Ray who we meet at the start of the Last Jedi, she probably would have been gleeful at his humiliation and his defeat in such a shattering well she kind of was right she was like oh it's too late for you you lost i found skywalker she is kind of almost taunting him yeah exactly whereas at the end she's just like i'm so so profoundly disappointed (laughs) i'm not angry i'm just disappointed (laughs) yeah and it's like just a much more sophisticated response i think and that conveys her growth as well well yeah oh my god we've talked about this for three and a half hours i know (laughs) Okay, it's. I feel like Ray's journey is much easier to sum up, and it doesn't mean it's like less complex or whatever. But she just follows a more clearly defined heroine's journey, whereas Kylo's all over the place, honestly. Because, and I think yeah. that's partly intentional that you're not supposed to just define him as a villain, so he has the villainous journey. You know, mm-hmm. he has all these competing elements. Yeah, it's very place. deliberately chaotic. Yeah, yeah. Right, but anyhow, I'm very tired, so I think we need to wrap up. <laughs> and I'm sure your dog needs a walk. So Yeah, she does. I'm Rachel, and you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye!